0: Big sales! happy Friday to you. 28 days until the National Football League's draft. Incredible. Final day of March. April around the corner. NC2A tournament. Go Canes this weekend. Take out UConn. Get into the, hey, how incredible and how like, Low-rated would this be if FAU and Miami's in the national championship game. Two football schools playing for the national championship. I'll say this again to you. What you're seeing this weekend in the NCAA tournament, in my opinion, I think it's collateral damage from COVID. No blue bloods. All the guys playing an extra year. All the experienced teams bringing more dudes back. That's why you had all these upsets. People like upsets until you get to the final four. Then they want to see the Blue Bloods. Kentucky, Duke, Carolina, all them dudes, right? I think it's going to be pretty interesting. It's not for everybody. But I'll say this one thing about the NCAA tournament. It's the second best sporting event in the United States. Am I wrong? The NCAA tournament, compared to college football, in my opinion... It's fair. College football is not fair. I'm going to show you something later on in the program. One of you guys gave me a great idea for a topic. And so I went around last night talking to some of the great personnel people. And I've got the top 32 players as of March 31st for 2024. And some of the guys that they've looked already and forecasted for next year's draft. So we're going to take a look at that. We're going to look at the Eagle defense here in a second. But it's the second best sporting event. I'm going to be sitting back this weekend watching this thing. I'm looking forward to it, man. So great weekend in sports, getting closer to the draft. All right. You know, one of the great things that we have here on Jacob Sports is that we got a variety of shows. Birds 365, got a brand new one now. Um, the sports take guys, guys do a spectacular job. They get a, they get a variety of guests on as we do. So I was listening to Jeff McClain today from the Enquirer, And they were talking about Gardner Johnson. It's funny how media people talk and how they talk out of both sides of their mouth. On one hand, Jeff goes, hey, my interaction with him was great. But if you talk to Eagle people or other people around the league, they say he's a loose cannon. Or he's difficult to coach. I don't know it to be a fact. These are, I'm paraphrasing his sentence. My interaction with him was great, but from what I heard. Well, which is it? Do you have an opinion if he's hard to coach, or is that just something that someone threw at you? This is the shit Seth and I were talking about the other day. Is it fact or not? Which is it? If you're going to make a proclamation about a player or a person, either your personal experience should outweigh anything you hear from someone else, unless someone's sending you false intel. Which is it? Is it the Eagles telling you he was difficult to coach after they couldn't sign him? He said, Person, I was listening and I'm going, okay, so what is it? Your interaction with him was great. He goes, I had a great relationship with him. I liked the kid. Okay. But if you ask around, he's difficult to coach. Who? They were concerned about if they gave him a lot of money. I... I That's the stuff you talk about. You know, you could sit here and talk to me and go, Sills, you're a shock jock. You do this, this, and that. I'm not a journalist. I'll never be confused with one. But if you call yourself a journalist, and I'm not really so much taking a shot at Jeff, but I'd like to know what he's talking about. Gardner Johnson's also now difficult to coach. Where'd that come from? Okay. And now they're even putting narratives out there that they've graded up on Gardner. So he's difficult to coach and they grade it up. Okay. Really? So the Steelers move off that guy, but they've graded up. I, I'm just, again, I'm, I'm, I'm hey. I don't mind people making comments like Jeff McClain, but I'm confused on what comment is real. Your personal relationship with him, or you're being told by executives around the league that he's difficult. How would somebody in Seattle know if Gardner Johnson was difficult to coach unless he was talking to somebody in the Eagles organization? Were the Eagles throwing that out there that he's difficult to coach? Were they spreading rumors about him? Where'd that come from? That's the shit Seth Joyner and I, again, were talking about. All of a sudden now, he, he's hard to coach. You know, when he can't re-sign somebody, what's the easiest thing to do? Smear him, Take a shit on them. That was their number one priority, I told you. That's why this whole... So, by the way... He's guilty too of being a tool. CJ, dude, I told you this. You've won this. Got a chance to make 8 million bucks. Okay? You got a chance to make 8 million bucks, dude. You've won this thing. Go. Go go play great ball for Detroit. Go play great ball. But see how the Eagles control the narrative. I've asked Gardner Johnson did the Eagles offer him more money? I actually heard McClain say they offered him more. He says that's not true. So McClain got that from the Eagles. I got it from the player. And here we are. Here we are with a false narrative on a kid. Because the organization couldn't get their way. Typical NFL When the NFL doesn't get their way on something they want, that's what they do. That's a pattern they have. Again, I mean, it's not so much a shot at Jeff as it's a narrative with media versus a player. And what Seth and I were talking about, all of a sudden he's a bad guy now. Well, wait, I'm not saying that, but I am in a way. You think that's right? I face this bullshit all the time. And people don't know me from a can of paint. But I I face this shit too, so I'm a little sensitive to that. Hey, I liked my, my personal relationship with the guy was great. But but what? But what? You're a journalist. You're a journalist. So, again, I mean, he's hard to coach now. Wow. That's that—that's new. No one heard that shit, or unless now it's being uh, bled out he is. Interesting. I was listening to that, and I'm like, this is exactly what Seth Joyner and I were – having a conversation on. I mean, if, 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 you, if you hear, the, if you're a journalist, I was talking to Howie Roseman, one of the things we were really concerned, get this, so they were concerned on him being coached, but yet they offered him more money. Isn't that a contradiction in itself? Hey, we were gonna give him, uh, let, let's go with what the narrative is in Philly. Let's say they were gonna give him seven and a half million bucks hey, but he's a little hard to coach. You were still going to give him the money and he was a top priority? It doesn't sound right. I mean, it sounds like he wants your cake and eat it. Am I wrong? Hey, again, I told you this before. I'm an observationist. I'm constantly looking for topics. And when I hear a guy expand on something that I talked with, with a guy like Seth, and then I hear a guy do exactly what we talked about. I have, ne- you know what I know is coaches from the Gators. They said he's a high energy guy. He may say some shit off the top of his head, but he's really a good dude. That's what I heard. <laughs> Again. Miguel goes. Why are you still talking about this? Because Jeff McClain brought it up today. That's why. That's why. Man, it kind of goes like this. Maybe they felt his talent was technically worth more, but they held back due to other things, like other things, other things. What were those other things they offered? So wait a minute. Minicotti, they offered him more money, but they were concerned. Don't you just pass on someone if you're concerned about one's behavior? Or do you go down that line? And Do you coach it? Funny, look what Mike Tomlin did with Antonio Brown all them years, all them 100 catch years. Guy was a toolbox. When you're a great coach in a great organization, you coach that. You manage that. That's what makes you great. Personalities, everyone's got one today. As a coach and a general manager, those are your jobs. That's what, That's part of the job description. Okay? Only thing I give a shit about Gardner Johnson is that he's a good teammate and he plays hard and he shows up on Sundays, and that's what he did in Philly. He played hard, he showed up, and he was a good teammate. Funny, you know what? You hear all these narratives from the media, but I haven't heard a player say anything negative about the guy. I haven't heard anybody say that. Okay? Okay. Tone says, for clarity, when you say they didn't offer him more money, are you saying they didn't offer him a multi-year deal at the beginning of free agency? I asked about the money, Tone. I didn't ask about the length. Okay? This was a a couple days ago. Okay? So I asked about the money, not the length. I should have probably asked about the length. Just to be fair, I'm tr- I am fair. I don't throw shit out on somebody that I don't know facts on and then turn around and tell somebody, hey, I like the kid and my relationship was good. I don't do that shit. You know what that's called? That's a two-face. Hey, I, know, I love the guy, but hey, I heard this. Okay. That's not fair. Either you don't like him or you do. Oh, I see he liked everybody else but you. Or he liked everyone. He didn't like everyone else, but he liked you. I don't get it. Oh, I do get it. I do get it. Typical media. <laughs> that's why he never called me a journalism. And that's why I'm not friends with many of them. Come up with shit like that. Hey, but see, Jeff's doing his job because ball clubs are telling him that. He's not lying. It's not him. I'm not circling Jeff, I'm circling the league. Jeff does his job, he's very good at it. I like his columns. I read the inquiry and I read his stuff. He's good. This ain't a him thing. That's what the league does. All right. Let's take a look at the Eagle defense as constructed today on March 31st. I've got the list of the players, and I want you to tell me if this – and if it's important any longer to have a top 10 defense, let's take a look at where we are now. I think you know what? The offense, in my opinion, is set. Oh, Madicati, what they're what the conversation that you have in Philadelphia about Gardner Johnson, look what they're doing to Lamar Jackson. He's dumb for not having an agent. Hey, dude, what are you telling him? To shut up and dribble? What, he's not multifaceted? He's not smart enough to ask for what he wants? I hate that. Well, he should, get, he should hire an agent. Maybe he doesn't want to. Are you under some impression Lamar Jackson's a stupid ass? Why is that narrative out there? That he's not smart. He doesn't know what he wants. He and his family know what they want. But he's a dumbass because he doesn't have an agency like CAA or Clutch. Give me a break. That's an insult. That's a shut up and dribble comment. You can't talk multiple things or think multiple because you're an ignorant athlete. That's not cool. I despise that shit. How do you you don't know Lamar Jackson from a can of paint. Lamar doesn't help himself, okay, by tweeting at nobody's on the internet. Dude, seriously. Don't send, send. Tone says, word is Roquan Smith negotiated his big deal with the Ravens without an agent. Low- Now Lamar Jackson is crazy for not having an agent. Makes no, that's right. Okay, so Lamar's a dumbass. No, you know why? Because Lamar's asking for a lot more money. Okay, he's the face of the franchise. And I wonder why everyone is going after him. Let me guess. Because the NFL and the organization are doing this. And colluding against him. Typical NFL, the media, the dude, the media are in the NFL's pocket. That's how they do this. Roquan Smith. Thanks, Tone. That's awesome. Roquan Smith, smart enough to cut a hundred million dollar deal, but Lamar's a dumbass. Must be the college you went to. <laughs> hey, Louisville guys aren't that smart, I guess. I, I, I don't know, okay? That, that's for a different topic, I guess. <laughs> uh, dude, don't be snowed over. When you hear something that you know, unless you get some clarity to it, on Gardner Johnson, on Lamar Jackson, on Roquan Smith, that's why social media, the media hates social media. You know why? Because you can go, let me, here, let me put this out there. Do you know another reason why Trump absolutely uh, infuriates the media? He don't need them. He can go to social media and put whatever he wants out there and go directly to the people. What do you do when you do that? You etch reporters. You cut them out of the job. You think the media in this country dig social media? They hate it. Why? Because you're not relevant. You're not relevant now with social media. They're running, they're running journalism out of the building. You understand that. Social media is running journalism out of the building. Why? I can go right to Odell Beckham Jr. I don't have to have some reporter tell me what he thinks maybe why the Eagles didn't sign him. It makes you irrelevant. That's why they say these things. Gardner Johnson goes right on my my Twitter page. I don't need a reporter. I exclude all the Philly reporters and really Detroit Free Press guys because he comes right to me. Who would I rather listen to, a reporter or Gardner Johnson himself? Furiates the media. Infuriates them. Because just like the newspaper business, there is no newspaper business. That's why these journalists are now columnists with opinions. Because nobody gives you the straight facts anymore. Because you know why? That doesn't move the needle. It doesn't move the needle. Controversy moves the needle. We all know this. That's why Elon Musk paid $44 billion for Twitter. Okay, he is the modern day Randolph Hearst. William Randolph Hearst owned all the newspapers across the country, right? Controlled the narrative in the media. Well, today's modern day William Randolph Hearst is Elon Musk And and Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk are the modern-day William Randolph Hearst. If it bleeds, it leads. Absolutely, man. Why do you think in Los Angeles they put on car chases? O.J. Simpson, still to this day, the highest-rated show in the history of KABC was the O.J. car chase. (laughs) I mean, L.A., you should see it. There's two things they put on in Los Angeles. I love Lucy and car chases. <laughs> I I don't get one of them. I I kind of get the other one now because America likes train wrecks. Crazy. All right, let me let me let's move over. Let's move over. I like Smith Ray. I think Smith, Ray. I I think all those players are good. I think they need to move out of ten. We'll talk more about that as we get into the show here. Um, Let me read the defense to you as of today. Tell me what you think of it. And you tell me if this is an upgrade from a year ago. Or if this is enough to get back to the NFC Championship. You know, I may have changed my opinion on this defense here. Let me throw this at you here. By the way, I think the kid they signed from the Saints yesterday... I like that move. I don't think anybody from round three down is going to be better than the kid in New Orleans. He's underachieved in New Orleans. Maybe in a different system, maybe playing next to Fletcher. He has the same impact on him that Fletcher had on Javon Hardgrave. I do think Fletcher Cox had an impact more on Javon Hardgrave because you know why? Fletcher's the better player. Would we not agree? If you looked at careers, whose career would you rather have? Fletcher Cox's career or Javon Hardgrave's? Fletcher's only two years older. He's bigger. He's done more. He's more accomplished. He's a pass-rushing freak because of his size. Javon Hardgrave may have more dollars in his wallet right now. He's not a better ball player. He's not. Ray, I think... I think Streets going to be solid in the rotation, too. I do. I think he's going to be solid. So let me read this to you here. Brandon Graham, and and by the way, Tone, I know that we we talked that they have to have four linebackers. I don't think they have the personnel yet for four linebackers. So I'm putting this defense, this Sean Desai defense, in a 43. As of now, okay, until I see more backers, and I think your strength is 43, not 34. Okay, I think it's 43. So let's let's go with the premise of that. Brandon Graham left end, double digit sacks last year. And and then I'm gonna show you what I think they need to do in the draft. Jordan Davis, left tackle, okay? Hey, let's do this. On March 31st, Jordan Davis is now put in a starter's role. He has no latitude. You're either showing up this year or you're a bust. How about this? Let's, let's be fair to that. You either show great Promise an improvement like Jalen Hurts has or the bust word is going to start being thrown at you. Is that fair? You're now in a starter's role. I want to see the same improvement out of you that we saw out of Jalen Hurts. A lot is on you for this defense to not have the fall-off that it had a year, or the fall-off that something may happen. Is that fair? I am not calling him a bust. But, dude, countdown starts. By week 17, if you haven't shown improvement, you're a bust. Or the Eagles completely overdrafted you. Today? We're going to go like this. He's a first-rounder, and he's starting at left tackle. It's almost like a, a fresh start here. Because you know why? He's in a new role. So I'm going to be fair to him. You're in a new role, son. Just like Jalen Hurts was putting a new role. You're in a new role. You're a starter now. It's time to play, right? I think that's fair. Tone's on his A game today. How many games does it take before one may call a player a bust? Does it vary based on position played? I think it has a lot to do, Tone and everyone, with your eyeball. If you see a guy and you go that, like, how many times? Like when you watch Michael Parsons play, how many games did it take? Five to figure out he was going to be a really good ball player. Okay, it took Jalen Hurts some time. Jalen's Jalen. It took him two years before people went. He's a fifty million dollar guy. Remember, seventeen games earlier, the question mark is: Is he the guy? You didn't. Nobody started the season out going that guy's a fifty million dollars a guy. It took him roughly what thirty four games. Usually, me, tone let's do this what's the what is the average years for an nfl player's career in the league does anyone know average do you know what the average is for an nfl player's career with all the players that have ever played Do you guys know It's three. It's three years. That's right. Tone says it's 3.3. I had an average career. Barrett Brooks had an exceptional career. He's 1% of the 1%. But what you want to see in that three years is improvement, like Hurts. Hertz's improvement is going on that trajectory where you go like Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Mahomes, Aaron Donald, Roquan Smith, Bobby Wagner, Fletcher Cox. Keep seeing that in three years, a guy going up. He was a backup last year. And like I said, he's now in a starter's role. Now look, do you get outliers like Reggie and LT? Yes. But those are the exceptions. Reggie came to the Eagles. I think he only had like 10 games when he came from the USFL in a supplemental draft. Everyone forgets Reggie White is a supplemental draft. I think Reggie had 22 sacks in 10 games. <laughs> guys like that are like, you know, <laughs> those are the exceptions. Okay, those are the exceptions. Tone says that's why fans should be mindful when talking shit on certain guys. To play three years in the league is a real accomplishment. And to a player that plays a decade, is exce- it's exceptional. Barrett Brooks playing 12 years is Except, you know, my wife has a rule. If you play over 10 years, you should be a Hall of Famer. In that league, you play 10 years. It's insane. It's insanity. Barrett knew how to play the game. It's a phenomenal career. Plus, he's got a ring on it. And he played in two of the greatest places on the planet, Philly and Pittsburgh. The rest of it was to keep it going. But it was Pittsburgh and Philly. I admire the guy. I admire him. 12 years? My friend Ed Tuttle Jones played 17 seasons. (laughs) Took a couple years off for boxing. Came back and still was a stud. Crazy. So let me get here. Brandon Graham, Jordan Davis, Fletcher Cox, and Josh Sweat. Use your D-line with Milton, Williams, and Street as you're rotating, guys. How do I feel about the front four? Graham's a little old, but productive. Jordan is now a starter. Fletcher, I bet he comes in in great shape. They gave him $10 bucks. I don't think Fletcher's going to come in and take it as a retirement pay. I think Fletcher's going to come in, and I think Fletcher's going to be a leader. You know why? Fletcher's always been a leader. Average length of an NBA career is four. I didn't know that. Four and a half years? MLB is 2.7. Well, baseball is the hardest sport to play. Not the toughest. It's the hardest. Tone, baseball is the toughest sport to play. Here's why. You can have 27% success rate at the plate and make $10 million. The greatest player in the history of the sport when it comes to batting average is Ty Cobb, 367. So 36% at the plate he had, and he's the greatest hitter of all time. I mean, (laughs) that shows you how hard that is. You're not even 50% in that sport. 36% at the plate. 36.7% at the plate, Ty Cotton. He's the greatest hitter in the history of the game. Remember that. That's why baseball's difficult. Throwing, catching, running. It's not the toughest. My wife's like, you're not going to call rain out. Sorry. I mean, I know we play in the rain and all that shit. Okay. Um, How do you feel about the front four? Brandon Graham, Jordan Davis, Fletcher Cox, Josh Sweat, in rotation, Street, and Milton Williams. That's pretty good. I'm trying to think of a better D-line. Line. Remember, stay in the NFC East. Maybe Washington has a better front four. I would probably say Washington has a better front four. Not by a lot. Josh Sweat, Fletcher Cox, Jordan Davis, Brandon Graham. I don't know. Maybe I'm still going to say Eagles. Then you're rotating guys. Milton. Milton's going hey, Milton's an important dude. You know why? He's got to take the role on now of, of Adama Kinsu and Linville Joseph, who were very productive at their 36 year, year old ages. They were pretty good. You know what, 11? I don't think Dallas is better than the Eagles' front four. Sweat had double digits. Fletcher had seven sacks. Graham had double-digit sacks. I mean, they didn't have that kind of production on their front four. Is Dallas a little better at stopping the run? I think they're pretty comparable and compatible. It, to me, the second-best unit, you know, New York's got a couple good guys in there, too, but... The Eagles beat the shit out of that defensive line in the divisional game. They crushed that line. I look, look if, if, if I've, if, you know what I see why how said this. Still, seriously, Josh, Sweat, Fletcher Cox, Jordan Davis, Brandon Graham, Milton Williams, and Street in rotation. What do you make of the front four? It's it's pretty formidable. That's a good front four. Now some would go like this: Yeah, what about Hargrave's 11 sacks? Well, I think Street, Milton Williams, and Jordan Davis should be able to pick up the 11 sacks. I think you can get a three-man guy in there, and I think if those three guys—how about this? If those three guys end up with 11 sacks, you replaced it with cheaper money. And again, as we said, and Tone said it perfectly. Dude, premium positions are not defensive tackle when you're talking about impact positions. I get you have to stop the run, but you know what impact position also means? Big pay positions. I don't think defensive tackle is a big pay position either. I Unless it's Aaron Donald, I am not paying a defensive tackle $25 million. I, I would move that. Personally, I think that's what's killing the Rams, paying Aaron Donald. They have no corners now. They have one wide receiver. They have no O-line. And they don't have any running backs. The Rams are so far who they were. Ramsey wasn't the player because the linebacking play wasn't what it needed to be. And the O-line was terrible. And they're playing a D-tackle, $20 million, and he didn't play last year. I don't think defensive tackle is an impact position. I'm not paying – hey, 49er, I know you're in here, and I know you love the move. I think he's a fine ball player, Javon Hardgrave. I'm not paying that guy $20 million. You can kiss that goodbye. Not happening. I would say this to you. I think the Eagles have the best front four in the NFC East. Pretty comfortable saying that. And get this, Jordan Davis is going to be wedged in between Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham. If I were Jordan Davis, I would, I would make sure that I was like Velcro next to those two men to learn how to prepare myself to be a starter. Being a rotation guy is one thing. Being a starter where you're counted on playing 65 snaps and percentage of the snaps, you better get your ass in shape and be ready to rock and roll. And get this, I'm going to make a point to you. Remember something here. Tone goes, in order to get paid at non-premium positions, you have to be, that's right, like Donald. Remember something, folks. Big sales comes from a position of failure. My issues weren't talent. Mine were other things. Unfortunately. So I'm coming from a position of failure. The things I wish I had done. Was there anybody stronger than me? No. Faster? No. Did people do more homework than me? Yes. Did I study the game like I did in college? It's funny. I studied the game more in college. Then again, I could get away with more in college. Got to the NFL. You can't get away with shit like you can if you're playing against Ole Miss. You can't get away with a prop, with an improper technique on a great guard like Isaac Sayamalo or on a center like – do, do you think Jason Kelsey kills people with strength? That flat step that he takes to get up and scoop and slip on the linebackers is a transcendent step. He's arguably one of the three greatest centers I've ever seen. He's quick, flat step, not an angle step. Flat, up, scoop, slip, up, second level, third level. How many many guards and centers have you ever seen get on second and third levels down the field, let alone – the fact that guards don't do it, you never see centers doing that. ghost leverage. Well, leverage has a lot to do with technique. Hey, Yale, they're all strong. Welcome to the NFL. Hardgrave's, hardgrave, funny, Tanner. Anyone who thinks Hardgrave is overrated is high. It's true. He, he, he's, he's a functional run stopper. But what makes him good is you could line him in a three. You can line him in a zero technique or in a one technique or in a shade. He's good at it all. And that's what he's being paid for. Because to me, to get a guy like Javon Hardgrave in San Francisco's front four, They want to go multi-front. They want to go bare front, 50 front. They want to go wide nine. They want to do maybe 34. And you can move him around in the middle there for that. Put him at the nose. Put him on a one. Put him in a three technique. Put him in a wide three. Get Bose out wide. Put him in that wide three. They They want to try to create space for pass rushing and blitzes. That's what it looks like to me why they signed him. Okay. But would we agree? Look, listen, you know, because I, I put this down on paper and I went, you know, this ain't that bad. You think the Eagles have the best front four in the um, in the NFC? Yeah, yeah. I think it's closer now. Washington, Dallas, New York. I think it's closer. But hey, let's do this. Is there a more experienced defensive line in the NFC East? Allen and that bunch in Washington are good. There's some holes in Dallas. They've kind of fixed the middle. Um New York's got some players. Milton Williams gets seven sacks. You covered the Javon Hardgrave loss if he gets seven sacks. Say Street gets four and Milton Williams gets seven. You've covered it. Even if Jordan Davis has three sacks, you covered it. You get 11 sacks out of the backup guys in the rotation. I hate calling them backup. I don't like calling anybody a backup in the NFL the rotating guys—if they get 11 sacks, you covered it. Niner fan, hes a good ball player. You just overpaid him. And I'm—and and listen, just like I said with CJ, I'm not going to—I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm not going to. I thought he should have been a Pro Bowl. I—I I thought he should have been the All-Pro defensive tackle. I don't know how Aaron Donald misses half the season. And he's the all-pro defensive tackle. And Hardgrave played on the NFC Championship football team, had 11 sacks, and was instrumental on that front four. He doesn't even make the Pro Bowl. That's insanity. But it's politics. It's all good. Construct your perfect D-line, Celio. If I'm building a cost-effective D-line, my DTs will be pure run stuffers. And send all my money to the edge rushers. If I was gonna build a defensive line in today's NFL, okay, I would put people like Saragusa and Vince Wolfirk in my D tackles. Okay. And do you know where they're gonna get their sacks? Having guys like, who would I play on my ends? I don't want to go too crazy because I'm trying to be realistic. Because if you have Reggie on there, you know, I would have Goose, Sam Adams, Vince Wolfert. They'd be my tackles. This is today's NFL. My ends would be Boza, Nick. And I want Nick, I'm going to play on the weak side, two of my ends. Because I want him on tight ends. My other guy, be a shocker to you, a Zach Allen type. Or somebody maybe like a J.J. Watt over there. J.J. Watt, Nick Boza, and my two tackles would be Wolferk and and Fletcher Cox if you want to go. Fletcher Cox, Vince Wolfark, Nick Boza, and J.J Watt would be my D line. you know and what guess what would happen? Because these guys would get so much push up the field and get the tackles. What is that going to create as long as you don't get pushed off the ball or, or stymied at the line of scrimmage? Those two tackles in the middle are going to get garbage sacks because they're not getting pushed off the ball. The pressure is going to come to them. That will help Jordan Davis. If the two ends, Josh Sweat and Brandy Graham, can get pressure, Jordan Davis will get garbage sacks. Why? Quarterback's got to step up. As long as he's not getting stymied at the line of scrimmage, which he does, and he gets some push. How many times do you see Vince Wolfark, or you see any of those guys in the middle, all of a sudden you watch and they get – how many times do you see Adamekatsou get sacks this year? Um, Just, just because the pressure – from Hassan Reddick came in. So last year goes, Nick Bosa did nothing against the Eagles. Again, guy, you make it sound like you put 300. It was the least amount of yards. All season in any game was against San Francisco's defense. You had 230 yards in real yards against them. You didn't blow them up. I heard like Sal Palantonio saying that. The, I was like, "You think 230 yards in total offense is blowing somebody up in today's NFL?" I don't. It was situational turnovers. It was really the Eagle defense that was crazy great in that game. That's right. Don't you're pushing that pocket. Okay, I. What, th- the problem that you get in today's NFL, if you can run the ball on somebody, game's over. I tell everyone this. Dude, having your head pushed in, having your head pushed in for a team that runs 300 yards on you is like having one hand tied behind your back and you not being able to fight in a fair fight. How many games have you ever seen where a guy – what did Brady throw for in that Super Bowl against the Eagles? Did he throw for 500 yards in that game? Right? Did he throw for like 500 yards, 490, whatever? It was some huge number he threw for in that game, right? Didn't matter. 500 plus – Brady threw for 500 yards, and yet, get this, because the Eagles dominated him at the point of attack – It was the only time I've ever seen a Bill Belichick football team in a critical game like that basically put up the white flag and they're in the trenches finally waving the white flag. Okay, I surrender. Eagles beat that team up. Beat them up. Passing for or 500 yards. I think that's that, sometimes the most overrated stat on the planet. You show me a team that runs for 250 yards on teams. I'll show you a team with massive success, hence the Eagles. How many times you see the Eagles go for 248, 238 on the ground? And you're looking at, and some people go, hey, well, they 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 can't close teams out in the second half. They didn't have to. You know why? They beat you up. You you could be in a game against the Eagles the last really two years since the two and five start. And you could do this. Okay. 2117. If the Eagles won a game like that, did you ever really think the other team was coming back when the Eagles ran for 238 yards? <laughs> Foles through for 500 yards too. I didn't know that. I thought he threw for three forty-eight in that game or 455. That's <laughs> some number two told you. All right. So, Hey, do we agree? Eagles have the best front four in the NFC. That's a great thing to think about on March 31st. Your rotation, guys, I think the guy Street will be a good addition. They'll probably watch this. And if you added Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech or Miles Murphy, right? pretty good and younger. Brandy Graham and Fletcher Cox are going to worry me because of their age. And how many reps are they going to play? What's do you, do you really think that Fletcher Cox is going to play 72 or 62, 64% of the plays? I thought he got worn out until they got Sue and Joseph. I thought he got worn out. I thought that Tennessee game, he was out of – or Pittsburgh, whatever it was, he was out of gas. Then they get the two dudes in there, his game picked up. I I thought he got – you know what's funny? I thought Fletcher Cox got better towards the end of the year and Jordan Davis got worse. So I would give this – I think that's a formidable defensive line. I'm I'm, I'm really – I'm excited about that D-line now. I'm going to put that down here. That's the strength of the defense. Well, I'm going to tell you why it's the strength of the defense here in a second. I know some of you are going to say corner. That's secondary in totality. You think your secondary is better today than it was a year ago with Epps and CJ in the middle and the two corners? Come on, man. Don't kid yourself. Let me, I'll get to that here in a minute. Linebackers, Hassan Reddick. Arguably, you could have made the comment, him or Nick Bosem were the two best defensive football players down the last month of the season when it comes to pass rushing. You could make that argument. And and here, you will never hear me say this, and I said it yesterday to you, and I'll say it again. You'll never hear me do this. Hey, I want to see it again. Shit, man, he's going on year five, Sills. You know, he's going on year five with how he's signing it. CBDTL being safety and free agency. He's doing a good job at not tipping his hand on the draft. How do you know he's not signing one of those guys telling you he's going to sign one of the positions that he signed someone to? Which one though? And that's a, again, we got a topic on that tone later. We're going to eliminate positions later on. Reddick was possessed. He was. N'Kobe Dean at middle linebacker. See, to me, N'Kobe Dean in a forefront. How do you think N'Kobe Dean would play with Jordan Davis and Fletcher Cox in front of him? Or how do you think he'd play uncovered? What I mean by is this. You've got to cover a guard. I don't think that's his position. I think if you put him on today's NFL guards at 215 pounds, he'll get killed. I don't care how talented, how athletic he is. Little dudes get beat up by big dudes, plain and simple. And it's not here. Let me, I, I, and I do this to you guys sometimes. I'm going to show you. Here's N'Kobe Dean. Do I think N'Kobe Dean's an athlete? Obviously, played at Georgia, SEC player, one of the great players in that program's history. Absolutely, I do. But here, watch this. What am I doing? And I've showed you guys this many times. I'm constantly hitting the nail. I'm constantly hitting the nail. I'm constantly hitting the nail. Eventually, the nail head breaks. Especially if you don't have the size. You get worn down. 215-pound Inside linebacker in a 34, lining up on Landon Dickerson or Trent Williams is a disaster in its making. He can't handle that pressure for 17 to 20 weeks. Absolutely not. Kaiser White could play on the perimeter on the outside because he's not inside in traffic. And by the way, TJ Edwards, look at TJ Edwards. You ever seen TJ Edwards lined up next to um, the Kobe Dean, one guy looks like a kicker, and the other guy looks like a D lineman when you put those two guys next to one another. The size differential itself is what made TJ play 17 games. Kobe can't take that pressure. And look who we had in front of him at Georgia, Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis. I mean, Jesus, criminy. You're going to put him in a 34? He will never make it. Now, if they play him right, okay, and they cover him in a 43, I don't think he could be effective. I'm just not. Look, I, he couldn't beat Kaiser White out. He couldn't beat TJ Edwards out, who was an undrafted free agent. He couldn't beat him out. Steal of the draft beats out free agents. Couldn't even get time playing Kaiser White's position. Those guys were exceptional players. I mean, if you think about it, one guy wasn't drafted. The other guy was let loose to walk the street from the Chargers. I mean... You couldn't get on the field at all. Well, again, I'm. Do I sound down on him? I'm apprehensive of him. Jordan Davis. I think Jordan. Look, I told you this. Jordan was just drafted too high, but I still think he's a first rounder. He's just drafted too high. Nicole B. Dean. I got. I got. I got. I've got. I'm very apprehensive on him. Okay, I'm not sold on him. I'm just not. He has, was no—he wasn't any impact on special teams. I, I just—I'm—I'm—I want to see it. I haven't seen it yet. Hey, maybe this guy turns out to be like Denzel Perriman. Denzel Perriman's a little dude at a UM. I, I like Denzel. He's—I saw Denzel Perriman. Tony, I'll tell you this: the smallest linebacker I've ever seen in my life. You know, Sam Mills was built different, man. He just had big legs on him. It was just a different dude. But when Denzel Perriman came walking to me, someone goes, yeah, that's the Chargers draft choice. I think they even took him in the third. And I was like this. That is the smallest NFL linebacker I have ever seen. I could not believe it. And he's played a ton of years. He's played a long time, man. Think he just got a brand new deal. This guy's uh, hey, Sam was 5'9. I think I, I think Denzel's 5'9. Little dude, man. London Fletcher, too, man. Another one of them small dudes. Nicholas Morrow will be replaced. Okay. And, and, and get this. You know why he's okay in that position there at the Will Linebacker? You know why he's okay? He's experienced. And right now, they need experience in that position. So, okay, how he's looking at it like this, at this non-premium position, what's the number one thing we need? Okay? Let's face it. TJ Edwards and Kaiser White were really good ball players. Okay. They were good ball players. Were they replaceable? Yes. They're very replaceable, depending on who your front four is. And now that you look at your front four, you're pretty formidable. I think this is the easiest position to replace on this defense for Sean Desai. Because why? The Eagles don't put a premium on it. They want dudes to make plays in there. I'm not saying they don't look at it as an important. Aspect of what the defense needs to do. Cause when you, when they put TJ Edwards in there, TJ Edwards solidified the defense. Cause he was a run stopping gap filling dude could not cover a tight end to save his life, but it wasn't important for them to do that because they were getting to the quarterback. Um, I, I look, this kid Morrow might be the right answer for them. Hey, you know, Tone, who does such a good job at throwing things out there at me. Sills, you know, who did he have playing in front of him in Chicago? It's a great point. Hicks went to Tampa. They moved defensive tackles out of there. They get rid of Robert Quinn. Shit, the guy next to him, Roquan Smith, they traded to Baltimore. So this guy's on an island. And that's why the Bears had the worst defense in the NFL last year. So when he say he had 116 tackles, I say they were non impact tackles. Well, it's probably because he had non impact players around him. Now, when you have impact players around, could he could he fill the gap enough? Yeah, it probably could. Here's the secondary. Tone, I want to finish up the defense before we take a time out here. Slay and Bradbury at corner, you're back intact at premium positions. Look at where the Eagles' premium positions on defense. Corner, pass rusher, and really front four. Slay, good. Here's the problem, though. You've got inexperience at the safety position. Okay. Complete inexperience. Well, Edmonds, let me get here. Let me let me get to that. Bears have no DTs. They still don't. But they want to spend north of 100 million on linebackers, man. Dude, not, not only that. They sign all them linebackers, and then they get rid of a guy who's a preeminent or second preeminent linebacker. And I know it just it doesn't make sense. Well, it kind of does. The Bears are telling you they did not want to pay the money that Baltimore paid for Roquan Smith. Okay. So, you got, so how well will Darius Slay and James Bradbury play with new safeties? And what's Avante Maddox's role going to be? Okay. Terrell Edmonds, there's a reason Pittsburgh moved off him. Could be a salary cap thing. They gave a bunch of money, very unstealer-like, to players on the market to play in the secondary. Pittsburgh doesn't Pittsburgh is a big time operation that likes to develop its own players. Reed Blankenship, sorry, I'm not sold on him. I don't, you know. I think your safety position, again, for anyone to say that Edmonds is an upgrade. This is what Seth and I said. I mean, so you think you're going to get two guys in a row that are going to go on the market next year for $8 bucks? CJ just left for $8 million. You think Edmonds is going to have a one-year deal enough for it. He's going to make $8 million next year. I don't see that at all. Now, is he good enough back? Now, I heard Barrett say something today that I agree with. He's a pure safety C.J. was kind of like learning it. See, C.J. got the, you know why Gardner Johnson got the money? Because that's a position he never played, really. And he was so exceptional at it, everyone sees the promise. It had nothing to do with people talking about whether or not he had the ability. He led the NFL in interceptions, never having played the position. They paid him on watching him play and getting better and better and better. Were there issues sometimes on run fits? That whole defense had run issues. They were one of the worst tackling defenses in the NFL last year. wasn't him. It was all of them. And now the Eagles have lost five dudes, as D. Gunn says, off that defense that we were five top tacklers on a unit that wasn't considered a good tackling team. So, but the Bears' point, is he a pure safety? Yes. So what's that mean? He's going to have better technique. That could benefit Slay and Bradbury. And I think that's where the upgrade probably comes. C.J. Gardner-Johnson plays like the kid in, in Dallas Diggs, just different positions. There's a lot of gambling in there. One guy's the gambler in Dallas. The other guy's learning the position. That's the the difference between Edmonds. Edmonds, you know who he is. That's why Pittsburgh moved on him. But you know who he is. He's a solid safety. Okay? Gardner Johnson had never played the position. and played like he was one of the top safeties in the league. That's the difference in the two players. Right there. And that's why that guy's making $8 bucks. All right, let me take a timeout. Got something really cool. By the way, Rick Gosselin, you guys want Eric Allen in the Hall of Fame, right? Rick Gosselin is the chairman of the Veterans Committee for the Hall of Fame. You want Eric Allen in the Hall. I had one guy yesterday say he would debate Eric Allen. You want another guy? 530 Eastern from Talk of Fame Network, our friend Rick Goslin, who's not only a Pro Football Hall of Fame voter, he covers the Dallas Cowboys. We're going to look at all the teams moving forward in the NFC East. And we're going to try to get Eric Allen in the Hall of Fame. You know I'm on all these panels. People ask me all the time, what do you make of these five guys? So we're going to talk to them. Okay? And... I have seven players that I think are the biggest question marks in the Eagles going into the draft. Plus, 2024, I've got a list here, 32 early bird players for next year's draft to keep in mind. And it could affect what the Eagles do, in my opinion, in 28 days. Hit the like button. Keep it here on the National Football Show. Wild, 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 My name is uh, Francis I'm a managing director here at DelVale Insurance Group. Been in the business for over 36 years, saving people money on their insurance needs. Give us a call. Let us help you custom design an insurance plan that meets both your needs and budget. National Football Show, appreciate you coming aboard. Thank you very much. Please hit the like button. Burrow, Herbert, Hertz, Lamar Jackson. Who gets their deal done first? Who should set the bar? Who should set the bar first? See... If Burrow sets the bar first, how, how much impact does this have on Jalen? Jalen's not going to get more than Burrow. So Burrow, Burrow, to me, of all these guys, Burrow's the dude that is going to set the bar. He's going to get $55 million. Hertz is not getting that. He's not getting more than, than, than Joe Burrow. He's not a better player. This guy changed the culture in shitbag Cincinnati. Cincinnati. We're not talking about formidable organizations like the Eagles or the Steelers or the Niners or the Patriots. We're talking about the shit-stained Bengals who have zippers on their wallet. He rolls into Cincinnati. They've been into two AFC championship games in a row in a Super Bowl and we're a quarter away from winning it. Cincinnati, he changed the entire landscape of that place. You're now to- you know what's crazy? I never thought in a million years that I would be saying this. Holy cow, the Jags and the Bengals are better than the Dolphins and the Steelers. What an upside-down pseudo world I must live in right now. It, it, it's incredible. It's incredible. I mean, wait a minute. The Jags and the Bengals are better than the Steelers and the Dolphins. When I grew up, Steelers and Dolphins and Raiders and Cowboys—they were the gold standard. Now, Jags and Bengals. That's insanity. That's insane. Shows you what one player can do or a coach can do for an organization. Look at what Tom Brady's done for the Patriot organization. <laughs> Guy buys the team from Victor Kime for I don't remember how much. I know he bought the land up around the place. That's how he got the team. Now look at it. All them titles. Brady's a direct result of that. I mean, what, you think because the Los Angeles Lakers are in L.A. that they're one of the best? No, they're there because when people look at them, Chamberlain, Shaq, Magic, Kobe, all them guys played, they were were like, Transcendent athletes that played at those places. Same in, same in Boston with the Celtics. I mean, to me, Burrow's going to get the most. Herbert is going to get less money than Jalen Hurts. You know why? He's not in a credible organization. They're in a nickel dime organization. The Chargers are so poorly run by the Spanos family. They run that thing like a cash register, not like a pro football team. That's why they don't win. They'll never win. The Los Angeles Chargers will never win because of poor ownership. If the Eagle owner owned the Chargers, they would have had three Super Bowls by now. He's a terrible owner, he's a poor businessman. You know, when Gene Klein owned the team back in the day, he was a better—he he was a better owner for the Chargers than what the Spanos family ever was. The just terrible owners. Now they're bickering over money. I mean, get this. Watch this. I'll, I'll say this to you: Daniel Snyder may suck as an owner, and he does, but the Spanos family don't know what they're doing. I mean. They, they had Joey Boza hold out over 300 grand of a contract, his rookie season for four games. Joey Boza comes up to me and goes, 300 grand. I go, I, I really man. you know what I, you know what I told Joey Boza when I was covering the Chargers? I was like this, shit cut the punter. Get your ass out there, man. He goes right. I know the father very well. Father played at Boston College. Played back in my time. I was. I said this to Joey, man. I was like, "Cut the fucking punter, man." Three hundred grand, dude. They're terrible owners. Okay, just terrible. Can or Sills? Do you have a favorite NBA team, dude? And I swear to you. By the way, you ask, people ask me this all the time. Sills, you're a fan of the Eagles? No, I love the fans. Okay, I'm I'm really not a fan of any team. I'm a fan of players. When I was a kid growing up, it was the Giants because I have a family member who was in the Hall of Fame. So it's the Giants, but not now. NBA team, you're going to be stunned. It's the Sixers. But I hate who's own, who owns the team now and how they completely uh, Doc's a friend of mine, too. You guys know it, he's been on the program here. And 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 get this, this goes back to four, 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 four. And plus, one of my favorite athletes of all time played on that thing. Will Chamberlain. I I I I, I always rooted for them. The, always since the 80s. Billy Cunningham, all them dudes. Honest to God, man, it was. Now, I think it's a shit show sometimes. Elton Brand. <laughs> hey, let's lose the sock to get Ben Simmons. That worked. I don't know. Love Moses Malone, man. Dude, Moses in my hey, who is the greatest center in before I move on? <clears throat> who's the greatest uh center in Sixer history? Embiid, Wilt, or Moses? Who would you take if you had to win a game seven of an NBA championship? Who would you pick? Malone? Dude, I think Moses won. How many MVPs in Philly? Two? I know he won a couple in Houston. He was supposed to go to University of Maryland. That's how I know him. Instead, he went to the ABA. Wilt's the best. Dude, Moses delivered the title. Well, Chamberlain got one in 67. Chamberlain got one in 67. Moses Malone because I know I could depend on him in that environment and <laughs> dude if I'm not mistaken did they sweep the Lakers did that team did that team sweep the Lakers in the finals that 83 team Whew. that team was so good man hey and by the way as a kid growing up as a kid growing up, I wasn't an NBA fan. I didn't root for the Knicks. I rooted for the Nets. For Dr. J, he was my. I I wore Converse because of him. Dr. J, that big afro coming down the middle of the lane with that red, white, and blue on, that number thirty-two. I was always stunned why he never wore thirty-two in LA and um, Philly. That number thirty-two man, him coming down. I I had a poster in my bedroom of Dr. J up in the air, you know, that one famous one he has, and it's, he's slamming it. And man, he was just so great to watch. He's he was, in my opinion, I think he was, he's probably more fun to watch than what LeBron is. I never got the excitement out of watching LeBron James as I did watching uh, Dr. J. Okay. Yep. They did. They sweep. <laughs> they swept the Lakers, man, that Laker team. Had all them great superstars on it too, man. Had Kareem on that bitch. That's crazy too. Kareem Kareem, in my opinion, is the greatest basketball player of all time. He's the greatest basketball player of all time. You can't dispute it. Drafting Ben was one thing. I stopped with the Sixers when they led Jimmy. Oh man, Jimmy Butler down with down with. Um, uh Pat Riley, come on man. I love Pat Riley. I covered Pat. Pat, I love Pat Riley. Oh my god, he's so crazy. You know you know how he got LeBron? So he's got like I think he's got one as a player, broadcaster and plus the five rings. So I think he's got seven. No, he got another one early. Um the Wade the, the early one, then the Shaq, the Shaq one, then the LeBron one. So I think he's got like eight rings so before before lebron got there he had a little satchel with all his rings he poured them on the table and he goes you want one of these try one on (laughs) Ah! lebron's like what do you mean he goes try one on see how it feels to be a champion you come here uh, you'll get one of those dude is that not dope okay right they choose Ben Simmons over Jimmy Butler. The moment Butler <laughs> made Simmons and Red Brown uncomfortable, it was over. That's right. He settled for the wrong dude. Butler's a handful. Butler's a player. I'll tell you what, man. That guy, in my opinion, there's one dude in the NBA that has the same kind of energy that Kobe Bryant has. It's Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler has Kobe Bryant intensity. Th- that's why I like Jimmy Butler. Hey, one last Pat Riley story before I go on here. What are we looking at here? Um, 2024, and also seven players on the Eagles I want to see step up. One quick Pat Riley story. I said, Pat, game seven, Boston, what did you write on that? What did, what, what did you write on that, on that board that you had there? He goes, because I go, I I thought I saw something. He goes, what'd you think he saw? It said writing. So Pat writes this down. I go, what was the play you wrote? He went like this. All the players looked at him. I said, you wrote will. He goes, you have to have the will right now. It's in your grasp. Take it. They beat him. I'm like, dude. Will. Man, Pat Riley, in my opinion, very underrated. I'll tell you this. Phil Jackson's a great coach because he knows how to spin the dishes. Okay? Pat Riley's a great in-game motivator. Come on, Captain. We need more from you. Come on, Captain. Pat's got nine rings. Okay, fair enough. All right. I I wrote down a list of seven players. Seven players that I think have to elevate their game for the Eagles to get back to the NFC Championship. You guys want to add some to the mix? Please do. But I got seven guys, seven that I wrote, Number seven, I got Boston Scott. You know, I don't know what it is today, Tone. I'm being fair. I thought about this topic last night. I'm laying there going, you know, I've been pretty pretty shitty to Boston Scott. How could you be shitty to a guy that hasn't had opportunity? Give him 200 carries. Let's see what he can do. Behind that O-line, Sills, give him opportunity. Before you can dog a guy, he's got to get opportunity. That's what I said when we were talking about the the Eagle defense today. He's in a different role now, Jordan Davis. He's a starter. This is different. Being a rotation guy versus being a starter, completely different things. Okay. Boston Scott, let me just hear you guys. Boston Boston Scott gets 230 carries this year. Two, hey, wait a minute. How many carries last year did um, Miles Sanders get? How many, does anyone know off the top of their head? I I know Jalen had like 167 carries a year ago. How many carries Did Miles Sanders have last year? And see what Tone says 259. Pretty good number. Boston Scott gets 259 carries behind that old line. Now, remember something it's 17 games. So let's do the math. Okay, let's do the math here. I can't believe I'm being this fair. Sounds like I'm, um, I don't know. Okay, 1,000 divided by 17 is 58 yards a game. To be exact, 58.8. To be exact, 58.8. How many how many yards do you think Boston Scott should we count on for him? 58 games, 58.8 yards per game gets you a 1000 yards. Believe it or not, Boston Scott has never had more than 87 carries in a season and he's averaged 4.3 yards for his career. He's totally an unknown then Arthur just loves penny hey pen hey hey Arthur once again Penny's ability you got to start more than two games a year dude six yards a carry eight quarters is not somebody you count on. He has started two games a year, two games a year in five years. Would it be fair? You think Boston Scott could run for 58 yards a game behind that old line? Scott has a nose for the end zone, 10 TDs in the last two seasons. Think about this, for instance. Well, so he has 10 touchdowns in the last two years, and Miles Sanders has 11? Didn't he, like, have one or none the year previous? Wasn't it something like that? Like I I know this. He didn't have a lot of touchdowns the year before. He had zero the year before. So in the same two years with less carries, Boston Scott had many touchdowns as Miles Sanders. Okay, I'm going to give this kid a chance. You guys sold me, and also that's why Howie gave him two million. I'm sold. I think the kid's going to be effective. You're right. For me to sit here and go, Sills, the guy's never had more than 87 carries. He had as many touchdowns in the last two years as Miles Sanders has. And he's $5 million cheaper. Okay. Maybe you're right, John. And I'm wrong. Maybe they won't skip a beat at running back. Hey, what about the size? Are they pretty close in stature? Are, are they pretty pretty close in how they're built or is Scott smaller? Looks to me Scott's a little smaller than Miles and maybe not as thick. Um I, I might be wrong because sometimes guys just look bigger in their gear than other guys do. I don't know. I don't know what you know, because Sanders looks like a pretty big dude in his gear. Scott's five, six, two, oh, three. That's a small dude, but thick. Five, six, two, oh, three? That's kind of like Sproles a little bit. Sanders is 5'11. Wow, that's a big size difference. 2'11. That's a big size difference. Mm. However, Emmett's 5'9. I'm not saying Boston Scott's Emmett Smith. Okay. I am not saying that. Okay. I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give Boston Scott a shot here. I'm gonna give him a shot. and you know what? Too, I'll tell you something else. Tone that I think I see sometimes with him, I think he runs better in traffic at times than what I saw with Sanders. Sometimes Sanders runs right into guys, like you know, he misses the first guy, then the second size, boom. Okay, he 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 avoids the first guy. Where Scott, in my opinion, if you watch him on film, he's pretty elusive in there in traffic. Okay? So I don't know. Maybe he's a more look, look at me. So I said, Boston Scott. I'm pretty, you know, get this. You guys have changed my opinion of him. You have. Rashad Penny. Here's what I'm hoping for Rashad Penny. This goes right into Arthur's role. I am not hoping for anything other than this. Rashad, give us 15 games. If Rashad gives the Eagles 15 games, he could put up 600, 700 yards. He could. He's, he's more talented than Scott. He just can't play. He just doesn't play. He's always hurt and he's never played a full season, and he's never lived up to his reputation of a first-round pick ever in any aspect. Some would go, well, he's had two, three games, folks. You still can't count on that player to build your offense around him. That's why Kenneth Walker was signed and drafted as high as he was. They moved off him for that. So this is all I'm hoping for with Rashad Penny. Give me 15 games, kid. If I'll tell you where you could really use Penny in the postseason. Get him to the postseason. You know what I'm saying, Tone? Run, run, run Gainwell. Run Scott. Just get Rashad to the postseason. He could be formidable in the postseason. Some go like this. What about a red zone? Red zone? I don't want him getting injured right now. That guy's made of paper mache Running back, Mo from Minnesota. It's good. I've I've watched him the last couple of years. Remember something, GI. I I vote on all the All-American teams and all the awards. Every award from Heisman down. I, I vote on the top 25, everything. And I watch all these guys. He's a pretty good player, man. Um coach up there, I really like the coach. He's turned the Gophers around and done a really great job up there. Um, I thought after the George Floyd incident, I thought it'd be tougher to recruit because of how Minneapolis is now when it comes to the policing around there. It's been pretty tough for recruiting, as he's told me. But it's gotten better again. They're getting more players in there. Okay? Uh, They're sending players back to the Gophers. I love that. I, I got recruited there. I like that program. It's a legendary program, like pre nineteen sixty, all the way up till nineteen sixty. Shit, man, Minnesota was considered one of the preeminent programs in the Big Ten, next to Ohio State and Michigan. I really like what they do up there. I, I I forget the head coach's name. He just signed a brand new contract up there too. They're really, it's really a good program, and he he he's a good back. Um, I would say I, I would probably say. Six rounds, something like that, okay? Seals Otis Anderson went eighth overall. Was he worth the pick? Well, his rookie year, he was the offensive player of the year, led the NFL in rushing with 1,600 yards, Maurice. You tell me. Otis Anderson led the NFL in rushing his first season in the NFL with the Cardinals. You tell me if you think it was worth it. Won the rookie of the year award. Was it I, he may have even won the MVP. He may, I, I, I don't know. I, he may have won the MVP first or second year. OJ Anderson had him on the program, friend of mine. Hurricane. And OJ led the NFL in rushing his first year. Number five. I got Cam Juergens here. Okay. I got Cam Juergens. Am I concerned? No. It's a new position. They're sliding him over. I would say, um, by the way, how big is he? How tall is he? And how much does he weigh? Okay. how How, how big is he? Because the Eagles love gargant, hey, they don't just love big dudes. They love gargantuan dudes to play in the O line. I mean, there's some of the biggest human beings I've ever seen in my life are in that O line in Philadelphia. I mean, they love. Dude, Kelsey is a small dude compared to the rest of them guys. His skill set keeps him on that field, and obviously, he's a Hall of Fame player. He's 6'3", 290. That's kind of small. Now he's a center. I'm going to tell you something, John. 6'3", 290, playing guard in the NFL, you might get thrown around. But his advantage is he's playing in between lane and he's playing next to Jason. Those two guys are going to help him a lot. He has got to be so technically sound. Dude, I'm telling you. A 6'3", 290 guy playing against that kid up in New York or the guy in Washington, he'll throw his ass around like a beanbag. That's a tiny dude. Today's NFL, that's tiny. Okay? You can't add height. I think that guy's got to come into the season. If he's going to play guard, at least 315, 320. Or he's going to get thrown around. 290? Shit, dude, there's no guy... The two the two defensive tackles that play in Philly are three twenty five and north of it. And the better athletes are on the defensive side of the ball. Fletcher Cox is 320 and the other guy's three forty five. And you got a guard two ninety? I don't know. Dexter Lawrence is three thirty five. <laughs> Dude, I'm just saying, man. This guy better have some bricks in his pocket. Now, again, the advantage is that you have these two really great football players on each side of him. That's going to keep the whole thing, in my opinion, okay. He's got to play well, though. Is he going to play as good as Isaac Samalo? Absolutely not. It's not his natural position, he's a center. Now, will he have better feet maybe than Isaac? Maybe. Will he be able to run better in traffic? Possibly. He really does have an added advantage of having those two guys on each side of him, though. And he's got Jeff Stoutland helping him. Maurice goes, Mike Webster was 6'1", 255. Yeah, 1974. Yeah, Maurice. 1974. Ray Lewis was 6'3", 255. I mean, it's a different league now, dude. I didn't have 290 defensive linemen back then. They were 250 pounds too. Dude, that's back when you put your helmet in your back pocket. I'm kidding. No disrespect. <laughs> yeah. 255-pound old lineman. Come on, man. You got linebackers in today's NFL 255. Hassan Redick's 250. Hassan Reddick is the same size as Mike Webster. Okay? Think about that. You look at Hassan Redick and go, he's small. Mike Webster was that size. Okay, I mean, that's that's how much the game has grown. Number four, these are the seven players that I think have to have and show up for this team to get back to the NFC title game. I got Reed Blankenship. How many, think people, how many people think Reed will play well this year? How many people think he's going to play well? Read Blankenship, you yeah you do huh? Tone, what do you make? Read Blankenship. I know Barrett's down on him. Um, I don't know. I'm, I don't know if I'm down on him. Again, is this another lack of opportunity? Because he had so many good players back there last year. Got to take that into consideration. Same thing that was taking with the kid from Chicago coming into the Eagle off uh, defense. I had trash around him. Okay. Defense was on the field the whole time. Yale says he played well. John goes, I like him. Okay. I'm not down on him, but I respect him stepping into that, into his role in short order. I'd like to know what Avante Maddox's role is going to be. What's his role? Are they going to play him at safety? Or are they going to rotate him cornered to safety? How, what are they going to do with Avante Maddox? I think he's got to be on the field somehow. How do you put Avante Maddox out there? Is he too slow? Possibly. Probably why he's not getting a lot of playing time. Okay. Eastern. Yeah, Rick Gosselin. We're going to talk Eric Allen. Um, Has to stay on the field. He does. Why be down on him? CJ Gardner-Johnson wasn't even playing, so who's not there but Epps? Your safety position, in my opinion... So you don't have him in the you don't have Gardner in the slot. You have your your safeties right now, you're pretty comfortable with your safeties being Terrell Edmonds and Reed Blankenship. Okay. Quite quite frankly, we'll see how they affect the corner play. Because that unit last year with Epps, with Gardner Johnson, with Darius Slay and James Bradbury, the way those guys all played as one unit. We'll see what they can. You see, the tentacles slaying those guys benefited because they played pretty well at the safety. They played better at the safety position a year ago than what a lot of people thought they were going to play going into the season. When they finished it, it was a solid unit. Okay? It was a solid unit. Edmonds, and as as I said, and I, and I heard Barrett, Barrett's right. You're going to get a more skill, wait a minute. You're going to get a more technically sound player in Edmonds than CJ. CJ's the better athlete and is going to make better impact plays. That's who he is. Why? He's learning the position. Think about that. Never played the position, led the NFL in interceptions. That's why he's making $8 million. And the reason that Terrell Edmonds was released was because the, Eagle, uh, the the Steelers wanted to upgrade. You know who he is. Not a rip. It's what it is. Steelers don't move off of people. Now, money plays a factor. Of course it does. Okay? Money plays a factor. Money play, money's playing a factor with the Eagles and who they're signing now. You know, I put down for number three linebackers. Dean, Morrow. I put these guys down. I put them as a unit. That unit has to play well. Not great. Because watch. Do you think both these guys are going to have over 100 tackles this coming season? You think you're gonna get two hundred and seventy tackles out of these two guys, Morrow and Dean? What did, what did, what did um Kaiser White have? 106? Um TJ was up there like 140. So you think you're gonna get 270 tackles out of those two guys? 270 tackles. <laughs> That's a lot of production. Those guys were good. I wouldn't call the Eagle linebackers great last year. They still were productive. I, might, I mean, Unless I'm wrong on the uh, Kaiser White. I thought he had like 106 and TJ was around 140. That sounds right. I could have swore I saw 140. May have been more. It's 270 tackles between two dudes that are no longer on the team that you guys are sitting here telling me, well, we're going to get a guy off the street and a dude who couldn't see the starting lineup going to step in and cover those guys. That's a lot of tackles, man. Okay? I need high-impact tackles. I could care less if the guy has over 100 tackles. It just means you were chasing a lot, especially when you play on the worst defensive unit in the NFL. Eagles were on a second-best unit. And when considered one of the worst tacklers, I liked him too. You know, I like Kaiser. Kaiser's the kind of guy you have to have on your ball team because you know why? He's affordable. See, that's what people don't. Do you guys know? I don't know if you know this. Do you know half the league is undrafted? Why is that? Because of a cap. We do you think, you can have a whole team of first-rounders like the NBA? You can't have that. I mean, there's half the league is undrafted guys and lower-round dudes. Kaiser White is a perfect NFL player. He's never going to break the bank, and he's going to be a safe guy to have in your defense. He's a perfect dude to have. See, what happens with a guy like T.J. Edwards, he goes to – watch this. T.J. Edwards goes to Chicago, and he stinks to join up. They'll cut his ass after one year. Because they're not paying a guy $7 million to flop because there's already a question mark on how good, you know, he's going to be up there. We'll see. Chicago will mean NFL guys because then you start pricing yourself out of the league. Kaiser White's a perfect 5.5 million bucks. He goes to Jonathan Gannon in Arizona. That's a great sign for Gannon. He's solid. He's dependable. Build, you know, he's not going to build a defense around him, but he's going to know in the huddle what to do and what he's asking him to do. That's really a good sign by Arizona. Okay, that's really a good sign. Number one is Jordan Davis. What will Jordan Davis do? New role? New optimism. Okay. Now you're a starter. Your preparation's different. Expectations are different. What happens is now, it's time to pay the rent. You have to pay the rent on your 13th pick here. Last year, you were in your redshirt year, so to speak. Now, Rents do. Are you the 13th pick? Are you the steal of the draft? See, again, folks, this is and 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 I, I hear people doing this all the time. You've got to pick his pass rushing up. He's never going to be a guy who's going to give you 10 sacks. He never has been. You don't become that player in the NFL when you've never been a productive guy. So his impact, again, Barrett said it right today, his impact is in assist. Here, here's going to be Jordan Davis' biggest impact on your football team this year. If you finished 10th, and if you finish 10th in run defense and the opposing teams are held under 118 yards rushing every game, he impacted the run game, which in turn turns your edge rushers loose. See, that's what Barrett was talking about assisting. See, his impact, he could have maybe 20 tackles this year, right? But if he controls that line in the middle with Fletcher, that allows the outside perimeter guys to eat. And that makes those guys like he could have 25 tackles this year. One sack. Someone go, Jesus, man, 13th pick. Well, if you watch it on film, though, was he instrumental in having one of the better run defenses in the NFL? Yeah, they finished fifth. What? Eagles were fifth in run defense? They'll win the Super Bowl. If the Eagles finish fifth, not the sacks, if the Eagles finish fifth in run defense, they'll win the Super Bowl. That's three and outs on the other side. That's turnover opportunities for your secondary. That's not leaning on your linebackers to have to – if that unit improves from 16th to being in the top 10, win the Super Bowl. Why? Because the differential between the 49ers and the Eagles is the quarterback. The only thing that separates these two, 49ers have a little better roster, a little better. And the quarterback closes that gap. It's a pick them game. Flip a coin there with that two teams. The problem is, though, at the most important position in San Francisco, you – here, watch this. You you don't have to count on whether or not that guy's going to suck. Jalen Hurts is not going to – Jalen Hurts may not play a super game. He's not going to cost you one. And, again, playing the Super Bowl, that shit happens. You've never in your life since that game ended heard me kill him for that play. I never will because that's not who he is. Josh Allen will put the ball on the ground like that, and I kill that guy for dropping that ball against Minnesota because that cost him home field advantage. That's a turnover that hurt your team. That's a turnover that hurts your team's chances to go to the Super Bowl. In my opinion, him dropping the ball with less than a minute left in in Buffalo probably cost them a chance to go to the Super Bowl. Am I wrong? They would have had home field advantage, they wouldn't have had to worry about the Cincinnati game. They'd have beat Minnesota. They had a 115 ball games so they had at home field. Yeah, at home field Kansas City having to go to Buffalo. I'll take the mods. Allen's beating them. Can't have that. Back to the back to the end zone. Minute left in the game. Dude, all you have to do is take a knee. You win. Home field advantage. The play Jalen Happens to everybody. Happens to everybody. Hollywood says Hassan was a milk carton in the Super Bowl. He wasn't the only defender in that Super Bowl that was on a milk carton, too, my friend. He was. He wasn't. He wasn't the only guy that was on that milk carton. The point is, is that Jordan Davis, and I, you know, look. I think he and I were on the same page. He's a first-round pick. He ain't the 13th pick. None of us thought that. I had him down in the 20s, 22 to 25. He's that. He's that. Again, I mean, the Aveda kind of guy, okay? That guy Baltimore used to have back in the day? What was his name? Noga? I forget his name. Okay. Like somebody like that? So, but but again, to sit here and say he's going to be a 10-10, 10-11 sack guy. He doesn't have the skill to be a pass rusher. He does, he, he's not very skilled as a pass rusher. He's got to get better. He's got to learn. Now, can he learn that? Yeah, you can learn that. Tracy Rocker is a really good coach. Yeah, Nagata, that, that guy, he was really good in Baltimore. You know, Baltimore, hey, Tanner, I think that's one of the pieces Baltimore has been missing and why they don't longer play the same defense is because they don't have that stout nose like they do. You want to play in a 34, you better have that guy, and they don't have that guy right now. That's why when you watch Baltimore play, that's not the same defensive football team that we've seen in years is because they're not stout inside. They used to be one of the better stout defenses going all the way back, either Sam Adams or or, or, or Goose and them guys. They were always stout, great on the perimeter, Suggs rushing the passer, Lewis in the middle, Reed in the back, and their corners were Rod Woodson and Deion Sanders. I mean, (laughs) dude, that's a Hall of Fame defense you got there kumrai was good. Unfortunate injury in the Super Bowl he had. But he, w- he was a good ball player. He was good. I think he got hurt in that 49er Super Bowl. I think it was the Niners Super Bowl that he got hurt in down in Miami. I was at that, that game, actually. Um, Yeah, they no longer have 11. They no longer have that guy. And when you run that 34, boy, you better have linebackers they got some bricks in their pocket and a nose that can play that triangle. Because if you ain't got that guy in the middle there, you're going to get blown off the ball. 34 is a – man, your linebackers better beat the shit out of people if you're in a 34. And the Eagles don't have – they're a littler – hey, would we agree? They're a smaller defense than they were a year ago. They're smaller at the linebacker position. They're going to be smaller in the, sa- in, in the safety position. They're a smaller defense. Okay? So, smaller defense. Take it on big dudes. Hmm. Syracuse was an undrafted free agent at a pit. I know Tony. I knew Tony. God rest his soul. I think he's a Jersey dude. Um my one of my boys Tony Brown, who played with me in high school, played at Pitt started four years up there at Pitt with Fralick on the other side and I got a chance I was gonna go to Pitt. I didn't want to play for Foge though Foge fazio man the Silver Fox come rolling in hey sills how you doing hey sills how you doing yeah. I don't know, that hey Pitt. Pitt, in my opinion, has put out some of the greatest football players in the history of the National Football League. I mean, Pitt, Pitt is legendary players. It's one of the greatest pro. Hey, when someone goes Sills, there's a great player at Pitt. That's not a shock. D Lyman's at Pitt. Okay, really? Look how many great players have come out of Pittsburgh. Darrell Reeves, Curtis Martin. Tony Dorsett, Bill Fralick, Jumbo. Did Jumbo Elliott come out of there? I think he's a Michigan guy. Jim Sweeney, Russ Grimm, Hugh Green, Ricky Jackson. (laughs) It's uh, the receiver in Arizona. I mean, dude, they've had a lot of great football players at that place. Dan Marino. All them great football players. I'm going to, hey guys, I'm going to give you a list. And you're going to be the very first people to listen to some of the names that are going to be thought of for next year's NFL draft. Rick Goslin's going to join us also in hour three. I'm making a move to try to get Eric Allen in the Hall of Fame, or at least, how about this? I can't promise that because I don't have a vote for that. But what I do is, I put Intel together for many of these hall of fame voters. Okay. A lot of guys, they've come on the program and say, Sills, you know, I send you my final and I want to get your opinion. There's about 20 other guys that are on each and every single one of these guys' ballots. And what they do is they ask me, pick my five. I told you guys before, my pro- I, I I understand Joe Thomas was a good player, but I wanted to know what the, you know, what 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 was the one differential when you've never had a winning season, you played in an 0-16 team, that you thought he was one of the better players in the history of the league? I, I had a hard time with that one. Leroy Butler, I completely disagreed with. Someone asked me after the vote, I went, not. I wouldn't have even had a conversation about him. Rick Goslin said he liked to do about 100. My friend Mark Gassano belongs on a list making the case for him. He knows it. So we're going to do that. And we're going to talk to him about the Cowboys. He covers the Dallas Cowboys for talk of fame network. He was a columnist for the Dallas morning news for years, wrote numerous books, covers the Cowboys. I actually think Jerry Jones has had a good offseason here. I can't believe what I'm going to say. I think the Cowboys are better now today than they were at the end of the year last year. They got better, but then one of the most important things happened. What was that? Mike McCarthy said he was going to start calling plays, and I went like this. <whistles> oh, what is? You built up all that good work. You built up all that good work. Look at this. The needle's going over here. Mike McCarthy's calling the plays. <whistles> I went, damn. Man, you did all that work. You got it going. You're going in the right direction. You're going there. All of a sudden, watch this. Damn. Mike McCarthy's calling the plays. <laughs> I am like, man, thank God. Eagle fans must be going. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you, Jerry. I, I really, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, man. Ladies don't like that heel. Get yourself out of the gutter, man. Hey, Hugh, this is a family show, man. (laughs) Okay. Sills on wedding night. Come on, Arthur. See, Arthur gives me a ton of shit every day. He does, man, but he's here every day. Thank you, Arthur. I appreciate it. You're a true sports talk person. Hour number three coming up. Keep it here on the National Football Show.
1: Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers.
0: Why, why, why My name is uh, Francis I'm a managing director here at DelVal Insurance Group. Been in the business for over 36 years, saving people money on their insurance needs. Give us a call. Let us help you custom design an insurance plan that meets both your needs and budget. Tills National Football Show, final hour of the program, final hour of the week, final hour for the March, or the month of March, here on the last day of March, so can't wait for this weekend, can't wait to see what my Canes do. Looking forward to it, really looking forward to it. Um, this hour, we're going to have our friend Rick Goslin, Hall of Fame voter, votes on the veterans, we're going to try to do something to get Eric Allen into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. A lot of news in the NFL, too. By the way, Major League Baseball, I thought it was a great sign. I watched two games yesterday. I didn't get a chance to watch the Philly game. But I got a chance to watch the Mets and the Yankees. Tell me what you think of this. The Yankees didn't put the pitch clock up. um, But they did with the Mets with 10 seconds left. Do you want to see the clock or not? You know, if you think about it, it's kind of like the shot clock in basketball, right? We see the shot clock, you see it in college basketball, you see it in the NBA. Do you guys, and and, and supposedly, what was the number? 66% of the games were under three hours, which is fantastic, I mean, hey, no disrespect, but watching guys grab their nuts for five hours is not something I'm interested in. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you guys want to see the clock or not? Because I think the clock kind of gives the fans – see, to me, baseball is the only sport of the big four that doesn't have a clock, and I think that's why it drags, and I think that's why it gets boring-looking sometimes. It's the only sport that doesn't happen. Okay, and it doesn't have a clock and some of those games, man, with all the pitching changes you can go 5 hours. And you're like, "I'm out," especially American League games. Um the Yankees didn't put the clock up for the fans to see. I think it's kind of a distraction in a way. Okay? I do. But I thought it was interesting. I did. I thought it was interesting to see um that how affected this thing was. All right, let's get into, I, I want to I throw some at you guys. I don't know if you guys, I don't know if you guys are as into the draft as I am. I, I, I get into the draft, and I really do. And I, I, I kind of keep eyes on everybody. But, and like I told you before, I'm a voter on a lot of All-American teams. I'm a member of the uh, Football Writers Association of America. I have been for the longest time. I'm on the panel that votes for the top 25. I do all that stuff. Okay? Sorry, Joseph. Hopefully you weren't eating your cereal or any, like, hopefully you weren't eating your sandwich when I said grab your Guyans. Okay? Is that better? I, I, I don't want to watch a guy sitting around grabbing his cannoli for five hours. Is that better? Grabbing his cannoli. Okay? That's a little better. I don't know. Maybe that make you even sicker. I don't know. But I got a list here. Here are the top players for you to keep an eye on. And by the way, how this may affect Howie Roseman and how he goes into the draft in 28 days. Like I told you yesterday, DT's not exceptionally rich. Um, Safety position's terrible. Wait till you hear in this draft what that position sounds like. And they rank the players, not where they're going to go. Obviously nobody knows where they're going to go now. Okay. And so what it does also for me is gets me ready for college football a little bit. And someone asked me, so who are the top 20 or 32 players for next year? Okay. Here ranked as the number one college football prospect For the next year draft in 2024 is Brock Bowers, Georgia tight end. Now, would a tight end ever go number one overall? Not ever. However, with the position and demand, tight ends, as I told you, are essential in today's offenses. This guy's like Gronkowski. Hands, size, size. Have you seen him play at Georgia? He is the best football prospect going into this season in college football. The best prospect is a tight end. Number two: Caleb Williams, quarterback, Southern Cow. Ami's um, the transfer from Oklahoma. Let's see if he could beat Utah. I want to see some significant games where you win, instead of putting up all them shitty stats in the Pac-12. Empty calorie stats don't impress me. Okay, win some ball games. They should have put that on the side of Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson put up all those shitty stats, and then when he played against teams that mattered, he was a nowhere guy in them. Okay. James Williams, University of Miami, safety, third-ranked player in the draft for next year. Safety. Hmm. Does Howie not take a safety in a high pick this time and wait for next year? Does he feel comfortable with what he has now? Number four, Marvin Harrison Jr., Ohio State wide receiver. Is the fourth best prospect. Hey, I'm going to show you what you guys will notice here as we get through this list here. I want to keep you abreast of something as you go into the draft in 28 days for this year, okay? Number five, Drake May, UNC, University of North Carolina, I think he's a better quarterback prospect, in my opinion, than Caleb Williams. I think Lincoln Riley's overrated. I do. I think Lincoln Riley's overrated. He didn't recruit Jalen Hurts. He got Jalen Hurts as a transfer. Kyler Murray? I don't know. got him paid. Baker Mayfield, I mean Lincoln Riley. What's he ever won? What am I? What am I supposed to be impressed with? Big Twelve titles, (laughs) getting waxed in games. I mean, what has he won? I mean, when somebody tells me the greatest coaches in the history of Oklahoma, he ain't it. That guy's not it. Barry Switzer. Um, Bud Wilkinson, who was the guy after Barry or a couple who was the guy that won the national title against Florida state? Um, he coaches now in the XFL. I'm not, those are, those are your three best coaches in Oklahoma history. Lincoln Riley, Bob Stoops. Thank you, Arthur. Lincoln Riley. What the hell did he ever win? Big 12 titles, bowl games. <laughs> okay just curious i mean i mean don't you have to i mean that's why when people go like this to brian kelly still brian kelly's a great coach really so you're supposed to have the top five recruiting classes in the every year top five notre dame every year top five and he gets in the national championship semifinal games and gets murdered and then what does he do he realizes he'll never win a national championship at notre dame notre dame will never win a national title ever they never will Danny, are you happy with the Jason Taylor hiring? I am. I like Jason. Uh, Mario loves him. Do you guys know why Notre Dame will never win a national championship? Why do you guys think Notre Dame will never win a national championship? Do you know why? There's a better chance Notre Dame wins a national championship in men's basketball than in football. Do you guys know why they'll never win? There's one factor. And one determining factor. Oh, Marvin Harrison Sr. grew up in Philly. Didn't he own car washes? Didn't he own car washes like in Philly Sr.? I thought it was car washes that um, I think Reggie Wayne told me, right? Because there's no girls jam way to listen to the program because they don't have Lou Holtz. Putting them on probation, Maurice? No, because they don't believe in redshirting. Notre Dame doesn't believe in redshirting. They don't redshirt players. Very few. Very few. They don't believe in red shirting. That they'll never win. You're playing. You're playing in a game with a 20 year old versus some kids who are 22, 23 years old. When you play against LSU or Alabama or Georgia, and you're playing against, you're playing against men, 19 versus 21 or 22 kids. Okay. Notre Dame doesn't believe in, they don't believe in redshirting. All them Southeastern Conference programs, they red, if you're not a frontline starter, you're getting redshirted. Sales, who's better? Deep threat. Justin Jefferson, Randy Moss. Jesse. Jesse. Randy Moss is the second greatest wide receiver to ever put a pair of cleats on. Okay, then it's everyone else. Tio's third probably, but it's everyone else. It's Moss and Rice. And if you picked one or the other, I'm cool. But to me, Rice is the better player. Rice is better than Moss. Why? Well, when the play wasn't going to Randy Moss, he took plays off, and you knew what was up. Jerry Rice played every down with 100% effort. Okay. He just goes, Moss is the best deep threat ever. Really? Who's got 200 touchdowns again? Who's got the most receptions? Who's got 20,000 reception yards? Who's got three Super Bowls? I forgot. Who? Oh, yeah. Jerry Rice. Moss is the best. (laughs) That's not what it says on paper or on film. (laughs) And you want to hear something crazy? Jerry Rice ran a 4-7-8 at the Combines. Or the Combines were his Pro Day. I forget what it was. He ran like a 4-8. It still didn't. Bill Bill Walsh went like this still. He goes, I don't care. His hands are like glue. I'm taking him. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. Jerry Rice is electric. Number six. I'm giving you the 2024 top kids. Rick Gosselin, bottom of the hour. We're going to try to get Eric Allen in the Hall of Fame. Um, And we're going to talk some Cowboys with him. He covers the Cowboys, Dallas Morning News, and also Talk of Fame Network. Andrew McCaba, Clemson, safety. That's the second safety now. And it's in the top six. Does Howie go like this? This group of safeties this coming season is going to be pretty deep. Maybe Howie gets along with Edmonds. Maybe Edmonds is a good bridge to get to the next guy next year when, get this, there's going to be a deeper pool of safeties. There is a deeper pool of safeties from what I'm being told in 2024. So this may affect Howie in 28 days. I don't, maybe I'm if it's not branch, there's no one else. And I'd rather go free agent. And that's why he signed Edmonds. Howie is doing what we're doing right now. He's looking at the 2024 and the 28 days from now draft going, what is the best thing for me to do right now? So what is he doing? We said this yesterday, right tone? He's signing all players in positions that are light and talent heading into this month's draft coming up. And he's using these players as bridges to the positions that are going to be deeper this coming season. Defensive tackle will be deeper. Safety will be deeper. O-line will be deeper. Linebacking court. There's one dude, that kid Campbell, rest of them, That's why he's hoping Edmonds plays. Eagle Way goes, will Dion take over the Pac twelve? Hey, Eagle Way. Let me just show you how that works. Please please hold. Deion Sanders is on the phone. Yeah, yeah, coach. Recruiting trip? Yeah. Yes, sir. I'll tell my mom I'll be there next week. Yes, sir. Well, I've kind of decided on Texas and Ohio State, but... Okay. Hey, I I would love to come see you, coach. Well, I kind of committed to Ryan Day at Ohio State. Could I decommit? Well, can I take my mom? Okay, well... All right, coach, I'll see you next Friday. That's what he's doing. Well, I've I've already committed to Ohio State and Ryan Day. You know, I mean, uh, Dabo Sweeney too. You know, I I really like Dabo. You know, my folks are really religious. I know I know you are, Coach. Yeah, Coach Prime. I I, I know. <laughs> you can't say no to Dion. You can't, you know, how hard it is in the recruiting process to tell coaches. I had guys sitting in my driveway. Norm Gerber sat in my driveway for two weeks. He recruited for, hey guys, does this name sound right? Syracuse Dick McPherson. Dick McPherson. I think the name was Dick McPherson. Does that sound right? Dick McPherson, and he had a guy named Norm Gerber. And, hey, Norm Gerber sat in my – he goes, Sills, we're going to give you number 40. I played linebacker in high school. We're going to give you number 44. I'm like this, man, you ain't giving me Jim Brown's number to play linebacker at Syracuse. And Norm Gerber goes, yes, we are. We'll give you number 44. And then I go like this to, to Norm when he's recruiting me how many guys have you offered number 44 to he goes about 20 and I went, okay, that's fair. So at least I took a trip to Syracuse. I did. I took a trip to Syracuse and I I was like, dude, how many, how many players have you offered 44 to he goes 20. (laughs) I was like, okay. (laughs) Uh, When he was honest with me, I, I finally took my recruiting trip up there. He's like, he's like 20. I'm like, all right, well, I'll take the recruiting trip. I enjoyed myself. That was a fun time up there. You guys are going to love these next two names for the top-like kids that are going to be considered for next year's first round. Emeka Buka, Ohio State wide receiver. Boy, what do you guys notice about these top 10 guys? Listen to the schools. Georgia, Southern Cal. Miami, Ohio State, Carolina, Clemson, Ohio State, Bama, Texas, Ohio State, Ole Miss, Bama, Oregon, Georgia. If Howie Roseman stays in those places, his chances of succeeding are high. Okay? His chances of succeeding are high. How about this kid's name? Xander, this is for you, dude. Kool-Aid McKinstry, cornerback, bam, I love that, his his name is Kool-Aid, dude, that's a boss-ass name, Kool-Aid McKinstry, bam, a cornerback, that's the guy I want to see starting in Philly, man, for Darius Slay next year, Kool-Aid McKinstry, you imagine a dude like that playing in Philly, man, and his first name is Kool-Aid, dude, I'm in, man, and plus, he's good. I've seen him play. I saw him against Georgia. Look what I'm telling you here. How he's looking at all these safeties and corners that are going to be in next year's draft. It's deeper. I'm not saying that Witherspoon. I don't think Porter's any better than any one of these guys <clears throat> that are here. I think the kid Gonzalez is good, but Kool Aid's pretty good, man. Watch him play this year. Kool-Aid McKinstry. Number nine, a running back. Uh, another wide receiver. Xavier Worthy, Texas. Look at all these big time programs. Kool-Aid McKinstry. Number 10 is Travion Henderson, Ohio State running back. I love this kid. How'd you like this guy in the Eagle backfield? Personally, I think this guy, Henderson is pretty damn impressive i've been watching him play a couple years now he's a good ball player this kid's a good ball player so if boston scott doesn't you know do what we think and hope he does this henderson kid might be someone to look at next year see how he is taking this list And the top 32, top 50 guys, maybe. Because I told you yesterday, there's probably 50 guys in this draft that can make an impact. Um, And he's looking, hey, if I go free agent here this year and cheap, Jalen, and here, get this, here's something else he's thinking. The next two years, he's got to go into the draft deep. How we might want to trade out of the first round of 10, so he can get one of these dudes next year covers flank why well he's got to be more on a budget next year because in march of 2024 the 50 million kicks in the 50 million kicks in debbie goes no interest in baseball of course Grew up with baseball. Just, hey, for you, Debbie, East Yankees, Central Indians, West Astros, Marlins, Rays, Blue Jays, wild card. National League East, sorry, Phillies. Braves, Central Cardinals, West Padres, Phillies, Mets, Dodgers, wild card. I think the World Series is going to be Padres versus the Astros. Padres had the best hitting lineup, probably the best starting rotation in baseball. Look at the money they spent. Look, look at the money they have. Hey, hey, uh, Breen, Devontae also has to get paid. I think he's locked up to 24, though. I think he's locked up through 24. By the way, Rick Gosselin's gonna join us in a couple minutes. Pro Football Hall of Fame voter. And the distinction is he's the chairman of the Veterans Committee. So you want guys want to make your pitch? He I said, please watch the chat for Eric Allen. If you want to be nice, he's the chairman of the Veterans Committee. And he also votes on the modern day players. Rick's a pretty influential guy. Was that the Dallas Morning News forever? He's been a friend of mine forever. Um, I don't know. Maybe, hey, do you, maybe we should start out there before we get to the Cowboys. And we start with Eric Allen. And we start there first on getting him into the Hall of Fame. You guys want to go there with that? We'll do that first instead of talking Cowboys, because I know most of you throw up when we start talking Cowboys. Joseph, go, Sills, you need to come out to a Phillies game and tailgate. Bro, Joseph, hey, dude, there, there could not be anything that could not be more cooler than probably hanging out with Philadelphia Philly or Philadelphia sports fans, okay? I mean, honestly, a tailgate out of Phillies, Eagles, Flyers, Sixers, well, <laughs> anyway. I mean, really, seriously, does it matter what the sport is? Does it matter in that city what the sport is? You guys are nuts in a good way. Okay? In a good way. In a good way. Dude, hey, I, I, I told you, man. When a kid growing up, watching those Phillies teams play with Lazinski and all them guys, who was that one guy? Was it Jay Johnstone. Was Jay, John, Jay Johnstone, right? He was on that ball team too, man. Hey, the Dodgers, the Cardinals, Dodgers, Cardinals, Dodgers, Cardinals, Reds, Phillies, Pirates. Shit, man. They're all good. Back, you know what? Baseball's expansion destroyed the sport because everybody was good and you had great starting pitching every week. Every week. You had. Dude, I, I can't tell you how many times I saw Carton, Carlton versus uh, Seaver or Gullet with the Yankees going against Catfish. When Catfish came to New York, that was that was wild to watch or watching Vita Blue versus Catfish Hunter. I mean, those were all great, wonderful times because you never got shitty starting pitching. Now, guys have 80 RAs and you're going, that's the starter? <laughs> That's the starter. Well, yesterday, my friends, yesterday we talked to Jason Cole. Last week or a week before, we had Jarrett Bell. And every one of those guys, they do something really cool for me. And that is they, they get down to their final list of all of – I mean, they, they said that I, it was cool for me to say that I'm on their little panel that they have of about 20 guys. And I always, it's an honor that Hall of Fame voters ask me my opinion on somebody. And again, they just take all the intel they can because these guys are guardians of the sport. Getting a gold jacket is clearly one of the most important things in my sport when it comes to an individual player. There's only 300 plus of these guys. My uncle has to be one of them. Robustelli, one of the very few Hall of Famers that's an MVP on the defensive side of the football, won the Burt Bell Award. Um, and I asked Jason this question yesterday. Is getting in front of these guys more difficult than actually getting in the room to vote on them? Let's bring in Rick Goslin, formerly of the Dallas Morning News and now Talk of Fame Network and – Rick and I go back and forth. He sends me stuff all the time. I'm going to get to Gastineau here in a second, and I believe there is a massive case for him. Um, But I want to start with one thing before we get to the cowboy talk. Sure. Eric Allen. Am am I right? Is Jason right? I talked to him yesterday. You guys have only debated him once. Um, Is it tougher, Rick, to get in front of you guys now than – to even get a chance to vote on these guys, because as you told me before you came on today, there's about a hundred guys you want to debate.
3: Yeah, you know I'm on a senior committee. Those guys are, are just in the senior committee. Now, you have guys like Eric Allen who have eligibility left. It's just it, it's so difficult. Now, we've talked about the numbers. If if you didn't win a championship and you weren't all decade, and you play defense, it's tough to get in the room. And Eric Allen falls into that group. Albert Lewis fell into that group. Albert Lewis got him for the first time in his 20th year. You know, I happen to think Albert Lewis is a Hall of Famer, but this is the first time we discussed him. Eric Allen needs to be discussed. Louis Wright was an all-decade cornerback in the 1970s, never been discussed. Uh, Bobby Boyd, all-decade cornerback in the 60s, had 57 interceptions, never been discussed. It's for the longest time, it was almost two to one, even more so. It was more than two to one offensive players to defensive players. So it was tough for defensive players, 50s, 60s, 70s to get in, unless you play for the Steelers or Packers or one of the dynasty teams. So it's always been tougher for a defensive guy to get in. And now, you know, there's such a premium on pass rushers. You know, every year we're looking at, you know, two and three pass rushers and they're getting in and a lot of the, the defensive backs aren't, interceptions are dropping down. You don't have the 50-pick guys like Dion and Daryl Green and people like that. You look at a guy, Daryl Revis had 29 interceptions. It's it's tougher for defensive players to get in the hall because right now it's all about the quarterback and the passports.
0: Eric's got 58 <laughs> INTs in his career. Um, so it comes down to you, Rick, in your opinion, that he just wasn't on a championship team. And so you must put big value in whether or not you played on one of those teams that, Won a championship and won a ring. Is that right?
3: Well, I don't. The committee does. Oh, the committee does. Okay, the, the committee. And it's, you know that's sixty, but sixty-eight percent of the players in Canton won championships. Yeah, you know, That's a big check mark to have. And you talk about our county. What do you know about Dave Brown? Cornerback for Seattle, sixty-two interceptions. Never been discussed. Huh. Never been discussed. Again, another guy didn't make all decade. Didn't win a championship, and he, and he plays in the Pacific Northwest. He's lost out there. It's very, very tough. We have so many quality defensive players with interceptions and linebackers and that deserve to be discussed. It's tough getting in a room because we got all these wide receivers and pass rushers showing up in the ballot every year. How is uh, – let me ask you this, um, Rick. you think Jason Taylor
0: was – did you – did – I don't want you to divulge your vote, but, I mean, Jason Taylor over Cornelius Bennett, really? Well – I mean, Let's when you say, talk I, about the second uh, best player on that Bills defense, some could say Tally, but to me, it was Bennett. It was Bennett.
3: Bennett was a defensive player of the year. It, 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 every I'm year I bought for the Cor- Hall of Fame. Every year I bought for Cornelius Bennett uh, in my finals to, to cut to fifteen. I, I want to talk about Cornelius Bennett. He's never been discussed. You're right. He's he and Bruce Smith made that defense go. Played in opposite sides, and for this guy never to be discussed, that that's. Again, defensive player didn't win a championship, didn't make all decade. And that's and yet he's got cool. five
0: conference championship
3: rings. Right. But those two things, the, the, the all decade, I think 75% of the players in Canton were all decade. 68 won championships. If you didn't have the, one or both those check marks, you'd become a long shot. And in the Cornelius Bennetts, the Eric Allens, the Albert Lewis's, the Dave Browns, those guys are all in that group, all worthy, all need to be discussed. And there's a good chance that many of them never will. What, what what kills me
0: about that is, is that Marv Levy gets in, he didn't win. I mean, and Bennett gets pushed. And Bennett even goes to the Atlanta Falcons. And Cornelius is such a God-fearing man. He's such a good guy. And I know you know who he is. And I know that people have probably uh, pushed for him. But to me, man, him and Ed White, because these guys were on such great football teams. I mean, Ed White is considered one of the greatest offensive guards in pro football history. And do you know what people say to me? He's not in? And I'm like, no. How's Ed White not in?
3: Good question. How's Ed Buddy not in? How's George Coons not in? I mean, how's Walt Sweeney? Walt Sweeney went to nine Pro Bowls. He's never been discussed. Ed Buddy, eight Pro Bowls, never been discussed. George Coons, uh, eight Pro Bowls, never been discussed. George Coons uh, played offensive tackle in the 70s. He went to as many or more Pro Bowls than all the all-decade tackles. And he's never been discussed. Didn't win a championship because he's an offensive lineman. He has no stats. Those guys fall through the cracks. Like I said, those guys, those guys, these are all names on my list of 100. I want to show you something,
0: Rick. I think you're going to appreciate this here. And I think you're going to probably like this because I just got this sent to me here. Um, Mark yeah. sent this to me here. And um, he sent me his... His NFL alumni coin, and on the back of it, it's funny. You know what it says? Two-time NFL Defensive Player of the Year. Um. Six, all or five All Pros. Was on the New York Sack Exchange. Was he really was the, the creator. He was the Sack Exchange right? And by the way, was the creator of the Sack Dance right? He he's he's a guy who revolutionized the position. If it wasn't for Lawrence Taylor. He would be the preeminent guy in his decade of the pass rusher. And if you put his postseason together and you put his regular season together, he and Reggie White are the only men to play in every game and get a sack. How is he not in the Hall of Fame? Or how about this? Do you know I get a call around when you guys vote? Do you know I get – I talk to Mark a lot, and he's like, hey, I'm really happy for Klecko. And I'm like, no disrespect, Joe Klecko's a fine ball player. And Joe deserves to be in, too. But quite frankly, you were the better player on that team. He was the better player, Rick. He when
3: was Cleco, because he was in better favor with the New York media, gets 81, in. From 81 to 85, the highest he finished was third in the defensive MVP voting. And he had in that window, he had 80 sacks. That same <laughs> five-year window, Lawrence Taylor was a two-time – Defensive player of the year and runner up one time, he had 50 sacks. Gasco had 30 more sacks than Taylor in that five year window, and he couldn't get a sniff. All decade team. We talk about the all decade team. Mark Gaston has 105 and a half sacks in the 1980s. He's passed over the all decade team for four Hall of Famers Reggie White, 81 sacks. Howie Long, I think he had 63. Uh, Bruce Smith, 50 some, and Leroy Solomon, 38. How do you leave? Gastel off the all decade team when he's a 100 sack guy in the decade alone. Again, he was not a popular guy. You know, when he had the sack dance, that was, you know, that was early on. People didn't like celebration stuff. He crossed the picket line in 87. He's had some off the field issues. You know, and the, the controversy about when he walked and when he left the team. He was leading AFC in sacks in 88, walked off the team, Take care of his, uh, his fiance. They just, he did some things to rankle people. And I think they're holding that against him. He, he's a guy that should have been discussed. He probably should have gone in before Klecko. He went to a Pro Bowl five times in 10 years. Klecko four times in 12 years. Three-time All-Pro. Klecko two-time All-Pro. You know, Joe had 78 total sacks in 38 of them, they came in those four seasons he played in. I just think Gaston is, is a guy, again, he's on the list of 100. He's a guy that has fallen through the cracks unfairly, and he needs to be discussed.
0: How about Dennis Harrow? Dennis Harrow played on an offensive line that, do you know that every year he played in the NFL, they never were out of the one or two top rushing teams in the national football league. I believe if I'm not mistaken, he's a six time old, he's a six time pro bowler. So he's an, I mean, there have been guys Now, I, I, I look at a guy like Joe Thomas and I say this to you, how can a guy play on some of the shittiest football teams in the history of the national football league? And the voters look at that and go, I get the 12 – I I get it. I get, I get they put him in, but how did you come – how do you put that together where he never played in a meaningful game? He never in his life played in a meaningful game, and yet Hera played in all those games, in the NFC Championship games. I think he may have even went to a Super Bowl – uh, with the with with the Rams when they got beat in the Super Bowl, I think he was on that old line that got beat by the Steelers. I mean, Rick, there's so many guys. Is is it really just now that there's just a backlog
3: now? Yeah, again, it's repetitious. Dennis Herrera, no championships, no all-decade, no stats. Offensive line, offensive linemen have have so many great offensive linemen have fallen through the cracks. Offensively, you know, we've we've. For years, we were putting in all the skill players we could and, you know, leaving good defensive players, quality defensive players back. Now we're starting to catch up. We're starting to put more defensive players in. But it's still almost 2-1 offensive players to defensive players. And, again, if you're for an offensive lineman, you don't have stats. And right now we're putting all these stats in. And, and for what it's worth, Thomas had stats. You know, was, but there were consecutive plays and, and all those pro balls together, he had some meaningful stats as an offensive lineman.
0: Yeah, not giving up sacks, not giving up sacks and stuff like that. He did have that going
3: for him too. But I'm I'm old school. I I think there are maybe 15 to 20 first ballot hall of famers in the history of the game. Jim Brown, Dick Butkus, Joe Green, Jerry Rice, Lawrence Taylor. And yeah, we're making all these guys first ballot Hall of Famers. I, I don't Joe Thomas Hall of Famer, agreed. But to be first ballot, you put him on the same plateau as, as Anthony Munoz and Jim Parker. And, and no, no, I don't. But he's a Hall of Famer. I, I think some of these guys can wait. And if they do, you kind of ease up on the backlog. When you start putting all these guys in first, first ballot, all those guys start sliding. Next thing you know, they slide to me in the senior committee. And you wonder, how did this guy never get discussed? How, how did Joe Cleco never get discussed? He was never discussed during his 20-year win of eligibility. Again, defensive player, no all-decade, no championships. It's not hard to figure out. Rick, for
0: you, I mean, I asked Jason this, and he kind of has a problem with a little bit. I wonder what your thoughts are. So if you vote for a guy for 20 years, you consider a guy for 20 years, how in the 20th year or 21st, 22nd, 23rd, 25th year, does that guy automatically turn magically into a Hall of Famer if you guys – Passed on him all these years. Can, can, can uh, I'm sure there's a reason why you would go after further consideration. You look at a guy like people passed, and I'll, I'll give you Chuck Howley. Okay, I get Super Bowl MVP, more Pro Bowls actually than I thought. I didn't realize he had gone to that many. So I could see the conversation, and he may have been a tweener guy that was on that ledge all the time. He could have been. But tell me how you decide that after 20 years and then the 25th year, Chuck Howley's a
3: hall of famer. Again, players have fallen through the cracks. Chuck Howley was not an all decade player. That's one of the reasons he was never discussed. You know, those guys, like I said, 75% of these guys in the hall were all decade. We favor all decade guys. We favor champions. Howley should have been an MVP back to back years. He should have been MVP and in, won in the, the game they won. Stavak won it with 112 yards passing. And here's Howley, an interception uh, off, off, off Greasy, he recovered his uncle fumble. He could have been the MVP back to back. Had he been the MVP back to back, he would have been in. But, but he slid through the cracks. Again, man, I got 100 names. And you shake your head and wonder how do all these guys, all decade, there are 58 all decade players in the Hall of Fame, and 53 have never even been discussed. Del Schaffner wide receiver from the Giants in the the 60s, was a five-time first-team All-Pro. Never been discussed. You look at, there are four five-time first-team All-Pro in in the senior committee, never been discussed. If you're a five-time first-team All-Pro, you need to have your case heard. Joe Schafter may never have his case heard. And that's the criminal thing. All these great players that have fallen into the, 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 the problem is there aren't enough seats at the table every year we put in seven in, in, in guys that are eight, nine, and 10. When you figure that next year is going to be year, next their year, except that, Oh, here comes a bunch of first ballot guys. And we put those guys in those guys just slide right on out and they end up in the NFL senior committee. And it's wrong.
0: Let me get a couple, <laughs> let me get a couple um, cowboy questions in here sure. on you. Talk of fame network here too, by the way, for Rick, Rick, do you think the Cowboys are better now than they were at the end of the year?
3: Yeah, I think without question. Adding Brandon Cooks, he gives them speed on the flank, which they didn't have last year. And Stephon Gilmore, I thought they were one cornerback away. They really were run out of cornerbacks last year. Now you put him opposite of, of um, Trevon Diggs, and and they've got they're this close to being a very dominant dominant defense. They they led the league in takeaways last year. They finished third in sacks. They just needed that shutdown element. You know, get those points allowed all down. And and they're building a defense that can do that. And I think what they're doing offensively, McCarthy is going to start playing to the strength of this team. That's a defense. He wants to run the ball more. And I think that'll benefit the defense, and it should benefit Prescott. You know, the whole season hinges on Prescott. Who's the best quarterback? Who will be the better quarterback this year, Jalen Hurts or Dak Prescott? When you figure that out, I think you'll figure out who's going to win that division. Dak Prescott cannot throw 18, league lead with 18 interceptions again. You do that, you're putting your defense in bad positions. He has reduced those turnovers to take care of the defense. They can win a championship with this defense. They've got to start playing to this defense. On March
0: 31st, give me the East right now, how you would rank the East before the draft and a little bit after free agency right now. I know things can change still because there's Odell Beckham out there. Maybe even a D-hop could still be something that the Cowboys might look at there.
3: Just give me your sense of where you see the East right now. Philadelphia, Dallas, Giants, Washington. I think you've got to give the Eagles. Proved it last year. And until I, I believe, you know, until until you beat the champion, they're still the champion. And they're going to have to, teams have got to find a way to beat Philadelphia. That's a very good football team. And again, if, if Hertz takes the next step as a quarterback, they can be a very special football team. And I think he, he may he very may well do that. that. That's that's a good football team.
0: The big question I have is, Dak, if it's not now, Rick, at $45 million, when? I mean, when does Dallas do this? You know what? I said this before. All these $45 million, $50 million deals, there's only been one that has worked. It's the guy in Kansas City. Now, most of the time, you have to strip your team down. You see that everywhere. Even Philadelphia this year lost five starters. They have because they're getting ready to pay Hertz here. I mean, even Dallas, they lose Zeke, Mari Cooper in the last two years. I mean, this is only going to get worse in Dallas. And that's why they're kind of going cheaper as well here. Restructuring Brandon Cooks's deal. That was a great deal. Like you said, getting Stefan Gilmore, 2019 NFL Defensive Player of the Year. Jesus, man. Does is this, is this the year for Dak? If he doesn't do it, you think the Cowboys go like this? There's this this is not
3: happening. Maybe that's why they're going more toward running the ball and playing defense. Maybe they realize that Dak is not a guy that's going to carry that. That he can be, he can be more of a, a complimentary piece than a Patrick Mahomes. He's not Mahomes. He's not Joe Burrow. He's not Justin Herbert. You know, you, they got to figure out where, how to make this offense work without asking Dak to throw forty times a game, and that's that's the issue. This. Now, he's 30 years old now he's 30 years old this season i mean he's when you get a good young quarterback you got a window before well he's still on that rookie contract when seattle won it with, with russell Wilson, he was on his rookie contract and then when you have to pay these guys you start losing members of your sporting cast and you saw in, in kansas city of course that guy it doesn't matter who you put with him he's like brady just just give me nine other ten other guys to play and i'll go win but most guys, when if you don't do it in that rookie contract, uh, Aikman, Aikman in the rookie contract, and then you start paying these guys, and you start losing your sporting cast. And that's, so, do you talk to Jimmy about that? When the Cowboys haven't won those Super Bowls, they were losing the Dixon Edwards, the Jimmy Jones, the Ken Norton's, the supporting. They weren't losing the stars; they're keeping the stars, but they're losing losing the, the blue collar guys that kind of made that team great. And that's what happens when uh, when you don't win it with the rookie contract. And now that's. That's the problem the Cowboys have. That's why they had to let go of Elliott this year. You're paying the quarterback that much. You can't pay everybody $40 million.
0: Rick, do you think the Cowboys regret giving him that contract and hindsight?
3: No, because if he was up now, they'd probably have to pay more. But The problem with all these quarterback situations, there's a fear of the unknown. If we don't pay Dak, then who? You know, they got lucky. They had no idea what was coming after Romo. Then Romo gets hurt, and they stumbled into Dak. But a lot of these teams pay their quarterback. Like the Eagles, they stumbled, they
0: stumbled into Wentz after um, – I they stumbled into Hurts after yeah, Wentz. Exactly. Yeah.
3: But that's, that's tough. It's, the quarterback is the key position in football, and he's the guy – when you pay him, he's got to make everybody better. And I think in Dak's case, the cast makes Dak better. I don't think Dak necessarily elevates the play, but the cast does. When Dak had his best years, he had a rushing champion. He had a Pro Bowl tight end, potential Hall of Fame tight end. He had offensive blind one Pro Bowls across the board. He had Hall of Fame wide receivers. He had a cast that would allow him to succeed. I think they've got to find a way to get back to that. They can't have him throw 40 35, 40 times a game. If you can get Dak to throw 28 to 30 times a game, I think you can win a lot of games. But the more he throws, the less I like him.
0: Rick, are the Cowboys better with Mike McCarthy calling the plays than with Kellen Moore?
3: I, I think they will be because they're going to play to the defense. They're going to run the ball more. No, he's not going to become – I was in Kansas City in 78 when Marv Levy brought the wing tee back with three running backs. He's not going to be running the wing tee but there's going to be more balance and I don't think you're gonna you're gonna see some of the you know there were there were interceptions Dak through in the red zone you know when when you get third and one don't throw an interception run the ball uh, and I, I think there will be smarter decisions like that with McCarthy uh, calling the plays again he's gonna to play to this defense they can win a championship with this defense you've got to protect it and give that chance, defense a chance to win and I think that's why he'll be a better uh, play caller than than Callum Moore.
0: Rick is one of also the reasons that Zeke has, and from what I'm understanding, by the way, you know, I'm very tight with Steven and he comes on our program. Sure. And they've actually opened the door up a little bit after like the draft and maybe heading into camp where he could walk back. They've, they've made it so like, you know, they've made and sent out yeah. tentacles that he potentially could come back on a lesser deal. However, you think one of the reasons that they they moved like that is because they're targeting the kid from Texas? Bijan Robinson.
3: Well, I don't know if they're drafting high enough to get him. I think you're seeing a little bit of Penn. i swinging back toward the running game. You look at the two teams in the NFC title game last year, they were running teams, San Francisco and Philadelphia. You got there with a seventh round draft pick and with Jalen Hurts, who was a two. I think more teams are starting to run the ball. And I, I'd be surprised if, if Robinson is there when the Cowboys go on the clock. You think um, Cowboys move up to get him? That'd be, I don't see that happening. They, I just don't, the last guy they moved up was for Emmitt. I You know, the, the game has moved away from the running backs. I don't think they want to pay that guy, pay a running back. I think they'll find a running back. They found Pollard in what, third or fourth round. And, and they need a backup guy. Pollard's going to be the main, the, the main back. What they're going to miss from Zeke is the, the, the blitz pickup. I think they'd love to get him back. Because Tony probably is not going to pick up many blitzes, but Zeke Z- Z- Elliott is, is a stout blocker. And I think they would – let him, I know dude, it killed Jerry to cut him because Jerry he was one of Jerry's guys. And if they could decide, find some way to get him back in a situation um, role with, for the right money, they'd take him back in a second. Two last questions. Um,
0: Rick, give me your sense of Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys. Just tell me what – has he been a great owner? Has he been a great football people? And, you know, I think people look at him and they dissect him in two different ways. Not a lot of success in the postseason. You know this since Jimmy was there. And, you know, I've said this to you before and I'll say it again. You know, he's replaced every player that he's had on his roster since he's owned that team. And the only player or person he's never been able to replace has been Jimmy. He's never been able to replace that. And do you think that's the driving force for him still to this moment is that you know, it's kind of like Brady wanting to win a Super Bowl without Belichick. It, do, do you think that th- – I mean, those two guys, were they were teammates. They were best friends. They were all of this. And I think that's the one thing that drives the the divide between them now is that one guy wants to still to this day take the credit and the other guy saying, well, if you're so good at it, why haven't you done it again?
3: Yeah, I think without question, Jerry wants to win one. And I think – and people have told him that. You got to prove you can win it on your own. Those, those three were Jimmy's. Jimmy built that team. And when I pitched him for the Hall of Fame, I pitched him more as a GM than, than a coach. I mean, a lot of guys could have coached that talent. You know, like Jerry said, 500 guys could do what Jimmy did. No, as a coach, maybe. But there aren't two or three that could have done what he did as a GM, as a guy who built it, as a guy who had the Herschel Walker deal and, and traded Steve Wallace and got a one, a two, and a three. Just in the drafting, you know, getting Depnoski and, and Leon Let in the seventh round, and Daryl Johnson and, and Larry Brown, who was a Super Bowl MVP in a twelfth round. I mean, the edge he had coming out of college. He recruited a lot of those guys. He recruited Aikman, and he he had a better handle on the draft in the first three or four years as head coach than anybody in the NFL. And he maximized that knowledge and putting together a, a championship team. He's Again, his value was as a guy who built that team. And he also could handle that team. You know, he he, he he psychologically, he had it going. He knew how to handle Charles Haley, and he knew how to handle Michael Irvin. And what he did off the field was is, is important more than what he did on the sideline during, during game day. And I think Jerry has to prove still that he can win one without Jimmy, and he hasn't done it yet.
0: You know, I, I'm i going to close this here with you here, and I told Troy Aikman this, and we went back and forth on Twitter about it. I was there when this whole thing was going down, and it's funny. I think one of the reasons, Rick, that it was Aikman that introduced him for the Hall of Fame was this. Tried recruiting him to go to Oklahoma State. He said no. Tried recruiting him when we we broke his leg in Norman to transfer to Miami. Aikman said no. And then he goes to Dallas, Tom Landry, people forget this Tom Landry and Gil drafted him. He was going, he was going to be drafted anyway. He was the cotton bowl. Everyone knew Aikman was going to the Cowboys. That was pretty much set in stone. And then when Jimmy gets there, we went to dinner. We went to dinner, Rick at at the steakhouse in uh, thousand Oaks. And he looked at me, goes, Hey, hired your boy, man. I see that. I see Steve Walsh. I looked at, I looked at him, I go, You don't actually think Steve Walsh is going to be the starting quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, do you? He goes, he won the national championship. I go, let me help you up on here on Jimmy. Jimmy doesn't give a shit about friendships. He only gives a shit about championships. Okay. Get that through your mind. I go, the dude you see now on TV, that's not Jimmy Johnson. <laughs> hey, Rick, right? That guy you see on TV today, that ain't Jimmy Johnson, dude.
3: I think a tremendous burden came off the shoulders of both Jimmy and Jerry when they got in the Hall of Fame. I think that solved a lot of problems and and smoothed out a lot of things. I I think both those guys desperately wanted to get in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I I think Jerry felt that he needed to win one without Jimmy to get there, but he got there anyway. And I think they've mellowed. Both of them have mellowed considerably since they've been uh, standing on the podium in Canton saying, thanks for giving me the gold jacket.
0: Yeah, well, that Cowboy Hall of Fame – I think he's still kind of you know <laughs> yeah, that cowboy ring ring honor, honor I don't you know, know what he's hey Rick, for. the Cowboy ring of Honor man I think he still prods him with it because Jimmy goes like this when I'm alive
3: <laughs> yeah. And I, at, at this point, Jimmy's got the biggest honor there is. had had, had he not gotten the Hall of Fame, I think the Ring of Honor would have meant more to him. But he's already got the biggest honor there is. If you want to put me in your ring of honor, fine. If you don't, that's fine, too. Yeah. I've got, yeah. I've got a I got to bust him again. I'm okay.
0: Were you shocked mm-hmm. with his emotion when he was told by David Baker on television there at Fox when he walked in? You know when you walk in, you're, 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 you guys have put him in. I mean, were you shocked that he was that emotional? No, not at all. That tell you, tells you
3: how much he wanted that. And I think after – I, w- I was shocked, Trump- Rick. I've never seen him like that. Yeah, I I think the day before when Bill Coward got the word on TV, I think Jimmy may have felt that he missed the bus, that that Coward got in and he wasn't getting in. So I think the fact he wanted it so bad and the fact that he was surprised that I think he thought that Coward got the spot and to get it, I I think that that was true and honest emotion by Jimmy. And maybe the last time you see that
0: kind of true and honest emotion from Jimmy. Yeah. I I was like this, man. I go to this guy doesn't believe in Christmas cards. He doesn't believe in holidays. (laughs) He doesn't believe in any of that stuff, man. And for him to be like that, I was like, Holy cow, Rick, it's so great to catch up with you. And by the way, health and everything to your family. Okay. I know you you got some stuff going there and I just want to send some love out to you. Thank you so much for our friendship, man. Remember Eric Allen. Got Eric Allen and Gastineau, got to get these guys in front of you.
3: We're working. They're on the list.
0: You got it. Thank you so much, Rick. Thanks, Dan. You Take got care. it. The great Rick Goslin. I mean, God, such great stories. And also, too, don't forget, Talk of Fame Network. You can hear him and how he um, goes around. So we now have three people that are going to debate Eric Allen. Okay? We now have Jared Bell from the USA today we have Rick Goslin who's the chairman of the veterans committee now eric i i didn't think eric had time still on the clock but he does so rick still votes on that too so and um the hall of fame follows me on twitter and they keep an eye on what's going on here too so because they know that i'm a big proponent of getting some of these guys into the pro football hall of fame too so okay uh, Tone goes, I love how you're pushing Eric Allen. If he ever gets you and he deserves right, thank you. I'm trying to get Eric on. Eric goes, Sills. Eric Allen is such a wonderful guy. He's a very humble man. And you know, he does not he lives out, he lives actually. Um his, his um he, he goes to his kids go to my daughter's school, Rancho Bernardo. And I've seen him numerous times. He's a great dude, man. Great dude, and I see him a lot. Maybe we'll bring him in here one day. I don't know if we can do a dual thing here. I don't know, Tone, maybe, you know, he stands next to me here. Anyway, have a great weekend. Go Canes. Want to see the Canes get to the national title game? I appreciate everybody. Tone, God bless you. God bless you too, Xander. God bless you too, Big Joe. All of you, thank you. Till Monday, 3 to 6 Eastern, we'll see you on the flip side. Had a great weekend.
2: Messon Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia.